You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're watching the Inside Slant on The Sports Objective. Over the next hour, the guys will be joined by play-by-play voices, beat writers, and other analysts from around the nation as they preview this weekend's college football action. Let's hear from you throughout the show via Facebook Live, on our YouTube channel, or on Twitter at the Sports OBJ. Now, here are the guys. Welcome into the Inside Slant right here on the Sports Objective with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way in the big city of LaGrange is Kyle Barber. What's up, dude? Hey, man. The real L.A. LaGrange right here representing. Um, going on, fellas? Yeah, we're getting ready to talk to a gentleman that's from uh, actually, well, actually not going to be in L.A., but going to uh, Stanford. And uh, Bubba Rosenbaum joins us now. Bubba, what's up, dude? I uh, just got home from Riley's football practice, Dave, and looking forward to talking some college football. Have a, a lot of guests lined up for our viewers and listeners over the next hour plus. And, you know, not as many uh, interesting games this week, but, uh, you know, we picked out the ones that we were really intrigued by. And, you know, obviously, uh, Lincoln Riley is someone that we, um, you know, really think a lot of. And he did so much for East Carolina from 2010 to 2014. And, uh, your man, uh, in week one, as we'll talk about here in just a moment, uh, the Trojans put up 66 against Rice. And and as you mentioned, Lincoln Riley, uh, Bubba, you also mentioned your son Riley. And shotgun, uh, you'll be you'll, you'll you'll be surprised to know that da- that uh, Bubba named his son Riley after Lincoln Riley. Most wow. people, most people, <laughs> most people think that, but uh, <laughs> and, and I guess uh, understandably so, um, given how I love the Pirates. But uh, it was actually. Just liking the name, and uh, my last name's Rosenbaum, so so we just like the the double R effect, if you will. As he says that with uh, another child on the way named Lincoln, right? Is that the case, Bubba? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, has a, he has a son named Lincoln, and, and a daughter named Ruffin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, at least it's not Scotty. So uh, no, no, no. Kyle, please don't name your son Scotty. But anyway, shotgun. No problem. Good, a good game coming up. Uh, um, take on how's everything going? A Lincoln Riley move to the Big Ten. How is that going for USC fans? Are they are there some people that are? We know about the money differential, but as far as the the tradition, pride of being in the Pac-12, does that matter to any fans? Yeah, I mean, it matters. You know, you're losing some of those rivalries potentially, you know, with Stanford, with Cal, just being in being in California. Um, you know, there's been a budding rivalry with Oregon, you know, or USC and Oregon fans just don't like each other, really, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, a little bit with Utah as well, being in the Pac-12 South, and basically that game every season has been a big determining factor on who, you know, has won the Pac-12 South. Now there's no more divisions in the Pac-12 uh, for this season and next season where USC and UCLA before they, they uh, head out to the, the Big Ten. So, yeah, there is a little bit of, you know, you, you, you're long for those matchups. But USC is still going to have their rivalry with UCLA. And as of now, the plan is to still continue their rivalry with Notre Dame. And those two things are, you know, the, the real rivalries for them. Even though Stanford is 
quote unquote considered a rival and it's their oldest rival. Uh, it's just not at the same level as UCLA or Notre Dame and the potential of Notre Dame and maybe even Stanford joining the Big Ten later, uh, you know, makes USC fans, you know, not as concerned about that as well. I think eventually, whether it be 2024, maybe not, but maybe by 2026 or 2028, I think you're going to see a West Coast pod being a part of the Big Ten and just to ease that travel burden because, you know, there's just it's, it's going to be so difficult for these teams like, for example, UCLA softball, because USC doesn't have a softball team, their closest road conference series is 1,500 miles away. So if you're doing that you know, multiple times every year, it's just going to wear down some of those programs. So I think that they will eventually get to where it, there's five or six teams on the West Coast that are part of the Big Ten, which will then just kind of decrease some of that travel as well. But uh, USC fans, I think the biggest thing for them with Lincoln Riley, with the move to the Big Ten, with everything else is just – they're excited, and it's the first time in a long time that they've been excited, and there's this much enthusiasm. You could feel it around the stadium on Saturday, uh, you know, the tailgating, everything. Just people are excited rather than going, oh, no, how are we going to mess this up? Oh, no, you know, because USC actually, you know, they won 66-14. They blew out an opponent, and that's the first time they've done that in a long time, it feels like, even against group of five opponents. USC's kind of had a history the last four, five, six years of their season opening game being pretty close going into the fourth quarter and then kind of separating. You know, there was last year it was 13-7 against San Jose State going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Western Michigan, I think it was 19-14, or maybe that was uh, UNLV. The, all these games were pretty close. Um, so, you know, to see a blowout, fans are like, oh, my goodness, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's like again. And kind of gives them these thoughts of what it was like, uh, you know, when Pete Carroll was running things at USC. You know, you mentioned the uh, the potential West Coast pod there for the Big Ten, and it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of money in the Big Ten. Uh, the college football playoff expansion that's most likely going to go into effect in 24, not 26, um, with the six highest-rated conference champions getting an automatic bid, which, by the way, is great for the group of five. I don't think that's been talked about enough. There's only five power five conferences. So that means one group of five conference gets a champion in the playoff every year. But um, my point is, just obviously there's a money difference for Oregon, um, you know, Utah. I know they're being talked to about the Big 12 more so than the Big 10. But, you know, I kind of wonder if if I'm Oregon or, you know, well, we'll use, we'll use Oregon for the example or Utah, particularly maybe Utah with, the, with looking at going to the Big 12. If you stay in the Pac-12 with the new playoff format, um, with the six champions getting automatic bids, Oregon or Utah is going to win the Pac-12 every damn year now. You can make playoffs every year. Do you think any of that's going to be considered before these teams jump to the Big Ten? Because that Big Ten is going to be tough to win. Now, granted, they're going to there's going to be six at-large spots in the Big Ten. It's likely to get probably two of them each year. Um, do, do you think that'll be considered at all before any other schools move on from the Pac-12? I mean, I think you're going to look at all those type of things and look at all the scenarios. You're going to look at what, how it affects the men's basketball because obviously the Pac-12 has a pretty good tradition there. Uh, but in the end, it comes down to is it you're getting $30 million from the Pac-12? That's what's been discussed, 30 to $35 million versus $100 million potentially in the Big Ten. It's not like it's $10 million difference every year. This is right. $60 million difference yeah. potentially. I mean, that's just something that – you know, that makes such a big difference where that covers some of that travel that I, that I talked about. 
that covers, you know, Stanford has, I think, 27 sports, 24 sports. They have, you know, one of the largest athletic departments in the nation. You know, to be able to, to support that, you, you need an influx of cash. Now, Stanford has a huge endowment stuff, but they don't necessarily use it for their academics. So you're looking at some of these programs, and then it becomes, okay, you get into the, the playoff, and, hey, that's going to provide a little bit more money, but are you going to be more competitive if you're beating up on a conference of, of nobodies? And that, that could be the case of the conference. Now, maybe it gets stronger. It all depends on, one, you know, is what you can do to entice recruits to stay and then entice some big boys to come across the country because the West Coast, that's been one of the big issues. You look at all the guys that are in the conversation, um, you know, you're looking at the, the Heisman Trophy. Your Heisman Trophy finalist was a USC commit that decommitted from Southern California. Your two top contenders right now, Bryce Young, who won it last year, and C.J. Stroud, both from Southern California. You look at J.T. Daniels. He was at Georgia. You went into last year with the three top uh, potential Heisman yeah. uh, contenders, all being from Southern California, and it's not just those positions. You look at Ohio State, and there's multiple guys from Southern California, whether it be offensive linemen, whether it be Court Williams, one of their, their captains as a safety. You know, you're losing pieces. Uh, Ohio State also has a couple receivers from the Pacific Northwest, so a lot of players from the West have left. And part of that is that USC hasn't been as good. When your bell cow program in, in your conference isn't as good as it should be, then that ends up kind of opening the door. We saw this similarly in the early, uh, you know, the early aughts, the late 90s, where, you know, Florida State came in and got some guys. Uh, you know, it's a, some teams from across the country would come in and cherry pick. And you see Clemson's quarterbacks from Southern California. Just a number of players have done that. So that would be the first thing is can you keep players in the West and – you know, that that 60 million a year that goes to facilities, but that's also going to go to different NIL type stuff. And, you know, can you create the right atmosphere for players to be able to make money uh, in that NIL specter? Are you helping them out in different ways, whether it's just straight paying them, if that becomes the thing or if it's, you know, are, are you putting all the resources in? to help them negotiate those contracts or help them, you know, find someone that's going to provide an IL. You know, those are the type of things where the PAC 12 is falling behind right now. And, you know, because others, you know, Rutgers is making more money than USC every year. Purdue is making more money than Oregon every year. Like that, that's just, you know, it's inexcusable when you look at it from an athletic department, if you want to keep up, you know, Oregon is getting an influx of cash from Phil Knight, but when you're not getting the, 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 the funding from multiple sources, it makes it that much more difficult. So I think the money is a big part of, uh, you know, what the, the PAC 12 needs to do to be able to, to stay on the same level or else I think they fall behind. Yeah, I don't think the PAC 12 losing USC and UCLA, I, I don't see their, their TV revenue going up any. So I don't really know <laughs> what they can do with that. I mean, I, they, not much, but I, I will say this and we'll move on and actually, you know, preview the USC Stanford game. Uh, I, I, I do wonder how much of, you know, obviously the money, you can't turn that money down. I, I get them leaving and going to the Big Ten. Although I do think college football is about tradition and rivalry. And I think as we get more and more away from it, I think TV ratings are going to start going down. But we'll see if I'm right. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that I think is even more strange to me, and I think you'll agree, and you mentioned your athletic director, why in the hell was USC – Coach Helton, you know, he's an all right coach. He's at Georgia Southern now, and that's where he belongs. Why in the hell was he at USC for so long? Why Why did it take this long for USC to go out and get a big-name coach? 
Well, it starts with, uh, you know, it's not just with Clay Helton. It starts with the hire after Pete Carroll decided to leave for the Seahawks. You bring in Lane Kiffin, and nothing against Lane Kiffin. I think he's a really good coach. I don't think he was ready at that time. I think, you know, if, if his career trajectory went a different way, and now, you know, being an Ole Miss and having success there, USC might have looked at him in this coaching search and said, hey, maybe we bring him back. But it was too early for him there. Steve Sarkeesian obviously had his issues off the field. Um, you know, and then they go to Clay Helton because it's a safe hire. We've had too much stuff going on around the program outside. Clay Helton's a guy that's going to calm everything down. It's not going to give us any trouble off the field. So that made sense for them. You know, hey, that's fine for an interim. But then they ran into trouble. They had some success early, and Lynn Swan just completely against not not being bid against by anyone else. No one's you know talking about Clay Helton, you know, being their next head coach. He's not in talks with anyone, and just ups and gives him a, an extension. Jimmy Sexton fleeced him on a, a fully guaranteed extension, and USC was in trouble. And they had some other things going on around the school with some different scandals and you know some some big lawsuits that they had uh, to pay out. And because of that. There wasn't necessarily the money there, and there wasn't the desire from the uh, you know from the administrative side outside of athletics to really press the press the issue of trying to get a, a big name head coach at that time with everything else that was going on that they were trying to settle down and kind of you know get the get the reputation of the school back on track the way it should be. So I think there was a lot of factors that played into it, but the biggest thing was it was just a lazy hire, and it was just the fact that. You had three consecutive athletic directors, and now Mike Garrett lucked into Pete Carroll and did really well there, but he made some other mistakes there. But you had three consecutive athletic directors that were known for what they did on the football field at USC, not for what they did as an athletic director anywhere else. And that's the biggest difference. Mike Bone has come in. He's got credentials as an actual athletic director rather than he was a TV personality like Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan, or he failed had a failed uh, – you know, run for a government office like Lynn Swan. Like, you know, he was actually an athletic director and did some positive things for the Cincinnati program. And now he's come in and his staff at, at USC and Brendan Sosner, who was here and just got hired away by the Detroit Lions, who was his right-hand man, did some really nice things, building up different pieces around the football program in some other, uh, in some other sports as well. And then they go and make the the big hire of Lincoln Riley that kind of shocks the football college football world. And it's, it's definitely changed the landscape, I think, with that move combined with the fact that behind the scenes they had this these discussions going on with the Big Ten and they were able to make that move kind of in the in the middle of the night as well, uh, with no one kind of realizing what was happening. So I think those two moves from this athletic department have have really changed the landscape of college football uh, for the next at least half decade. A shotgun, if you take a look at this game, um, we talked about the 66-14 result in week one, a game that was, I think, 59-7 to after three quarters. And Caleb Williams, obviously that got a lot of headlines, you know, him going to USC from Oklahoma, and, and that was not surprising. Uh, you know, he was nearly perfect in week one, threw for a touch under 250 yards, uh, 19 out of 22. And then uh, one of the things I've always – loved about Lincoln Riley. He's continued to evolve on that offense. And, uh, you know, you ran for over 200 yards and you had nobody carry it more than six times. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, when the difference between Lincoln Riley's air raid and you guys obviously know is that he likes to run the ball. When whereas you know Mike Leach doesn't want to do that ever. He wants to get touches to his running backs, but that's by throwing it to him in the flats and whatnot. And the running backs also had a couple catches in this game. You know, I, I thought it was a, a very well rounded, and you got a bunch of different guys opportunity. I think there were twelve different guys that caught passes. You know, you had you had five offense touchdowns. You also had three defense touchdowns. So, you know, three pick sixes that were returned for touchdowns. But you saw, you know, just the the variety of of his offense attack. I mean, there was one play early, and USC fans are used to, you know, Graham Harrell famously installed his offense in three practices. You know, their former offense coordinator, because that's how simple it was. It was just repetition, repetition. We're going to run the same plays. We're going to run so well that you know defenses are going to be able to stop us. That's not the case with Lincoln Riley. He's going to design stuff where guys are wide open rather than having to be perfect on, you know, your routes and everything else. And you, you saw the the first third down that USC had, you know, it was just a very nice route where you had two, you had Mario Williams and Jordan Addison running short routes and you forced the, the issue with the linebackers. Hey, do you stop them at the sticks or do you kind of leave open a gap between those linebackers and safeties, which is what they did. And Taj Washington was wide open over the middle picks up like 40 yards and kind of sets up that first touchdown. So, you know, you're just seeing some of those, those open, wide open receivers was, uh, you know, was harmony to USC fans, you know, ears to be and eyes being able to see that after so long is just seeing guys, you know, a lot of jump balls and seeing, you know, Drake London and, and Michael Pittman Jr. And guys like that going up and just beating other players, which USC's, you know, uh, players can still do. But now you're making it a little bit easier on them, and you know you're seeing the dynamic ability. And you saw the freshman Relique Brown, you know, with, with a couple of really nice plays, including his first t- career touchdown and throwing the Heisman pose at the end of it, uh, which was one of the highlights that everyone seemed to really enjoy from the USC side. As you take a look at this matchup um, with Stanford, you know, tell us uh, obviously. You know, Stanford in recent years, they, they struggled a bit uh, after having a lot of success under Coach Shaw. So, uh, you know, tell us how this explosive uh, USC offense uh, matches up with that Stanford defense. Yeah, I mean, Stanford is, has been, you know, was, was known for their brutal, uh, uh, brutal intellectual, what was it, intellectual brutality is how they phrased it previously. And that was with Christian McCaffrey. You know, they're going to put three tight ends on the field. They're going to run it over you. And then when they do split out, they're going to, you know, they're going to throw the the, the jump balls on the outside to these big receivers. And that's something they're still going to do. But the problem is their offensive line just hasn't been as good as it has in the past. And that's made it that much more difficult because they can't control the game as much as they had in the past. When Whether it be with Jim Harbaugh when he had Toby Gerhardt or with David Shaw and his Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love teams. So that's put that much more emphasis on the defense. And their defense has never been just completely lights out. They haven't necessarily had a ton of big-time NFL playmakers on that uh, on that defense, but they've been really solid. And they haven't had to do too much because they're only playing 50 or 60 plays a game instead of 80 because of the pace of the game is really slowed down when Stanford can control the clock, control the ball. And so I think it just – with less plays, I think it enabled their defense to hide a little bit more, where now they've been exploited a little bit. Um, and and they, they still have come up with some interesting wins, some intriguing wins. I mean, last year they dominate USC. Uh, they, they beat Oregon, I think it was, last year as well, and go 3-9. and nine. Like, it doesn't make any sense, you know, the, the games that they do win. So they still have some talent there. But I think they they're one of the teams that's really suffered from the changes in college football. 
the transfer portal because at Stanford, you're getting guys that are transferring out, even if they have eligibility remaining once they graduate, because they can't get to a grad program at, at Stanford. Um, you know, they don't get a bunch of grad transfers coming in. They've had like one the last like four or five years. It just doesn't happen. I know the baseball team, I know their coaches really well. They've had one in their five years that they've been on campus. They have one grad transfer come in. And, you know, they've lost some other pieces like Jacob Palish to, to Texas A&M was a big part for, for Texas A&M's College World Series team. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't think that's helped them with the NIL, uh, the, with the transfer portal changes, but also the NIL. You know, Stanford is known for, you know, Silicon Valley and stuff, but how many of those people and those big-time donors to the university are really that interested in college football? And you see that with uh, th their attendance, you know, even when they're going pretty well, They've never had really good attendance. They got a pretty small stadium, and they don't really pack it. So I just don't know if there's a ton of interest there that at the same level that to keep up with a bunch of other places. So I feel like that's part of the reason why you've seen them fall a little bit behind the last couple of years. And but the big thing to me is that offensive line. When the offensive line doesn't carry them, they haven't been really good. They've got a really good quarterback this year in Tanner McKee, but can they protect him? Last year they they were they gave a 31 sacks, and I believe uh, you know they were like in the bottom 10 I believe it was in rush yards per game so you know you're not going to do too much on offense when that's the case yeah no doubt uh Stanford struggled here recently on offense and uh seems to I mean I can't remember the last time even on some of their good seasons when they were winning they they were struggling on offense so uh I do, do, how, do you expect them to be better on offense this year versus last well, I mean, the, if you look at the, just their statistics, then they have struggled in the past. But it, the way they control the clock, they control the game, and they can just grind you down when they were going good. This is when they are going good. The question is, can they get back to that? I remember I think it was 2015 or 2016, they had like three of the top ten offensive linemen uh, recruits in the country. And they haven't had that the last couple of years. So that's been the big issue is just getting those talented offensive linemen, guys that are potential first, second round guys. You know, they haven't gotten them in the recruiting classes the last few years. And that's been a big issue for them. That's the same thing with USC the last few. You know, USC hasn't got their top offensive tackle uh, target in, I think, five years now. And that's been one of the struggles for them is offensive tackle play over the last couple of years. So I think that's been a big issue for them. If their offensive line gets back, then they 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 have a great history in the last twenty years of tight end play. You know they've had a number of guys in the NFL from their tight end play. Uh, you, you know they got a good one this year and Ben Urasek. But they always have these big wide receivers on the outside. And they, you know the first one that comes to mind is, is probably uh, I just blanked on his name. Uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside, who played for the Eagles. You know was a first or second round pick there because he could go up and jump jump up over guys and go make a play with a big body. And they just would do this over and over and over. You knew it was coming. They get in the red zone. You're like, all right, here comes the jump ball. And you just couldn't stop it. And they've gotten some pieces this year. And with a quarterback like Tanner McKee, who is a is going to be a potential first round pick, you know, but it's going to be a first first two days, I would say, uh, draft pick when he decides to come out. Uh, you know, he can put the ball where it needs to be. So now it's up to those big guys to go make plays. John Humphreys is one of my favorite high school kids that I've ever seen play. He's a big target for them on the outside. And that'll be one of the intriguing matchups actually this weekend with USC. They destroyed USC last season um, on jump balls on the outside, on fade routes and whatnot. USC just couldn't stop it. They would get one-on-one -on -one matchups, and they would just destroy USC on those. And that's how they blew out USC and ended up getting Clay Helton fired after that game. 
So will USC, it's going to be a completely different secondary. USC has five new starters. Only one of those guys has really played against Stanford in the past, and that was Makai Blackmore when he's at Colorado. And they're a little bit smaller cornerbacks than they were in the past for USC. So how do they match up? That'll be a big matchup for USC to try to win this game. What are the expectations for USC this year as you look beyond the Stanford game? Obviously, Utah's favorite to win the Pac-12. They did lose in week one in a close fight down in Gainesville, Florida. I, I, I don't think that's a, you know, a bad look for Utah. They, Florida's probably going to end up being a pretty good team. Um, but what, what is USC expectations? Do you guys think you can contend for the Pac-12 title in year one under Lincoln Riley, or is it just you know get back to like eight wins, respectability, in a bowl game? I mean, I think we'll learn a lot this week. You didn't learn too much against Rice, but you you find start finding some stuff out when you go to conference play. But I just think with the you know they don't have quite the depth that you need from a college football playoff team, but they have enough talent to be a Pac-12 championship team. Now, can they avoid the injury bug? I mean, when you bring in guys like Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and Mario Williams and Jerry Rice's son Brendan, and that's your you know, your quarterback and you know, three of your wideouts right there, you bring in Travis Dye and Austin Jones, who were starters at different Pac-12 programs. Then you bring in a freshman All-American on the defensive side and Eric Gentry. He's moved to middle linebacker. You got a six-foot six middle linebacker who's making plays all over the place. Shane Lee comes in from Alabama. So they brought in all these transfers that have really you know, produced in the first week, but also just added an influx of talent because USC's talent level just was not where it needed to be last season. And I think that that's a big step forward. But now the question is, all right, if you have a couple injuries, what happens? Because they're just not as deep at some of those positions where you need to be. So I think that's the one thing that's going to concern. But I think USC fans are looking at it now and like nine wins would feel like, okay, we got nine wins. Whereas 10 wins is kind of maybe maybe even the expectation is 10 wins now. And anything above that, you're like, oh, you feel excited about. Um, but, you know, just there's just so much excitement and anticipation now because of everything that happened during the offseason, all the positive moves for the USC football program. And then you go out and produce a great show in the first game. And now fans uh, are really getting those expectations are really rolling on a high right now. No doubt shotgun. It's going to be a great game. We'll see how it turns out. And, uh, before we let you go, how can people follow your work and find out more about you on social media? Yeah, so you can find my, my USC stuff at uscfootball.com, doing a little bit of everything there, photos, video, you know, breakdowns, all that type of stuff. You guys want to follow me on Twitter at SPR for football stuff, and then also on Instagram at ShotgunSpratling. Um, you can get, catch some of the photos there. I had a great photo from this week. One of my, one of my favorite ones I've had in a while is uh, Raylan Goforth. has got an interception, a pick six, uh, return for a touchdown. He's celebrating, and his fan, family is all right behind him. Uh, they were all in the front couple rows, so that was a really special moment for him, and to be able to capture that one was, was really cool. So uh, check, out, check out those as well. A quick quick question before you go, Shotgun. Uh, just, just wondering as I'm sitting here. Uh, how does a guy from Southern California get the name Shotgun? I'm actually from Georgia originally, so oh, I, I, I got, go. got it in T-ball, and uh, I've had it ever since. I got that makes sense. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and one final question: Do you own a shotgun? I do not. My dad has a couple, uh, but uh, I do not have any with me at all. All okay. right, there you go. All right, Shotgun. Thank you so much. Have a good one, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you. Good night. Dave, do you own a shotgun? I, I don't. Uh, I probably <laughs> because my daughter is very beautiful, and I, I probably will uh, need to. Uh, uh, you, you should have one for home protection because you got a daughter and a ten son there. And I, exactly. We'll talk about that off the air.
Uh, <laughs> uh, Bubba, very excited to have, to have our one of our favorite guests. He's back with us again, and uh, I know with uh, the Cougs and their game coming up. Yeah, the Cougs won a thriller last week at the Alamo Dome, and I'm very excited to have this guy back uh, to talk about that and uh, what's you know on the docket this week with the Texas Tech Red Raiders and uh, Joey McGuire's club. Um, right now, uh, welcome back in the color analyst for the Houston Cougars, Ted Pardee. Ted, we appreciate your time this evening. Bubba, great to be here. Dave, Kyle, good to see you guys, man. Hey, Ted, by the way, ask who uh, I picked you guys to win last week. On that My man, game. I knew you would, you know, Dave. I wonder who Kyle picked. Uh, yeah. well, I, I, I was actually correct. Uh, we're picking against the spread, Dave, and I took, I took, against U, the spread. I took UTSA, and uh, UTSA covered the spread. Uh, Houston. I thought we picked it straight up. Uh, we, well, congratulations, Dave. You were right that they, <laughs> that they won a game. They were favored to win in triple overtime um, by two points. Uh, it was yeah. crazy. U, UTSA still- is no slouch. Oh, let me tell you what. It, I listen. I don't want any of that UTSA work anymore. Like, like uh, th- you know, good on him, and glad we don't have to see him again. I mean, maybe, maybe next year, maybe not. I don't know. A couple of years away, but we we knew last year that that was going to be a tough game. You guys, if you know anything about that coaching staff and what they've done for uh, for UTSA, they've done an amazing job. They got a great team and. Houston was, yeah, I mean, look, even look what Dana said. Dana was like, listen, we're lucky to get out of here alive. We're happy to get out of here. No, UTSA is a good program, and they're coming into the American next year. They're the only school I'm excited about coming into the American, to be quite honest with you. What about Charlotte? Oh, I'm just so fired up about Charlotte. I'm so fired up I could puke. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Too close. Well, they got 15,000 in their football stadium. They lost to William & Mary. I mean, come on. Uh but uh, no, UTSA is a quality program, and uh, I like that they invested in that coach. He's he's very well paid. I don't know if people realize what they're paying him, um, much more than what people would think. And I think San Antonio has really embraced UTSA almost like an expansion NFL team. They really have, and and if you know the Alamo Dome, it's a it's a you know quasi NFL style facility. It's been around for a long time, but it's a it's beautiful. They've they've kept great they've taken great care of it. It's packed. It's absolutely packed. The parking lot, packed, absolutely yep. packed. Like, 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 unbelievable. I can't even describe it. It's. It, it was like going to a home Houston game. To be totally honest with you, it was. It was uh, amazing. And you know, uh, Jeff Trailer and the coaches over there. They what they what they've done is they've tapped into the high school sort of uh, coaches network. And and a lot of the coaches on that staff are former high school coaches. And it's kind of like what Texas Tech has done, quite frankly. They've done the exact same thing. And it's a it's a common script because in in the state of Texas, you know, the high school coaches make a lot of money. They they are paid extremely well. You can make well into the six figures as a Texas high school uh, coach wow. in the public schools. They have a lot of control over where their student athletes go. And so they've done a great job of embracing that. Dana's done a fantastic job. You know, I got to give Dana Holgerson credit. He's done a great job of embracing it. If you're a coach in the state of Texas, you can't ignore the high school coaches. They uh, they control the game. No doubt. Ted, I wanted to ask you before we break down Houston at Texas Tech, uh, you're one of the smart football minds, and I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, we're hearing four potential teams from the Pac-12 coming to the Big 12. How do you feel about that, being a future member of the Big 12? 
Yeah, you know, I'm I'm good with it. I'm I'm good with it. I'm I'm uh, in in the world that we live in today. Uh, you know what? You got you got to go for talent. You got to get good schools. You got to survive. Uh, I hate to say it, and uh, but it's it's the truth. It's the honest God truth. Um, the Pac-12 is is in trouble. Like quite frankly, between between the friends here, right? I mean, uh, I, I've got friends out there in the West Coast. I was I'm you know I was born in Southern California. I've got a lot of friends that are out there tied into a lot of the athletic department schools like Cal, you know, they don't have much support from the administration. Totally honest with you. And, and so imagine me and a coach out there trying to, trying to do your job, trying to recruit people, trying to get kids from the South to come play up there from the Southern California to come play out there. It's, it's tough. So, you know, there's going to be some haves and there are going to be some have nots. Um, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's, it's, the truth is it's it's bad for football in general, in my opinion, guys. It's not good for football, but this is the world that we live in. It's the deck that we've been it's it, you know, we gotta play from the deck that we've been dealt from. And you know, I, I'm I'm a you know, I'm I've lived it for the past 30 years at the University of Houston. We were in the Southwest Conference. Okay, we were there, we were winning we were right there, number one and number two. We had four uh, conference championships in uh, in the decade of the eighties. Uh, and, and I lived it. I lived being kept out and, and now we're not even in yet, but we have the promise of being in next year. So until we're in, we're not in, you know, uh, it's just tough, man. And the money is unbelievable. Once you, once you cross the chasm, it's, it's the difference between double digit millions, uh, significant double digit millions versus single digit millions for, uh, universities. So it's it's tough, but you know what? That's the nature of the game. Ted, I'll ask you the same thing. I have a shotgun, uh, and I think it's a little different answer to me uh, when you look at the Big 12 versus the Big 10. Um, the the Pac-12 is still out there. The, the conference playoff expansion, which is likely going to go into effect in 24, which I think is bigger for the group of five than anybody because there's Absolutely. only five Power Five conferences, and that means one, power, one group of five teams is going to make playoffs each year. Um, Absolutely. So, but but what I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what kind of TV revenue the pack, the, the new Big Twelve TV contracts looking at. They're thinking thirty million per school for the Pac-12. I don't know how much bigger the Big Twelve TV contract is going to be. But if I'm Oregon or Utah, and I know Oregon's really not coming up for Big Twelve expansion, so we'll say Utah. If I'm Utah and I'm looking at the Big Twelve and then I'm looking at the Pac-12, I'm confident I can win that Pac-12 every year if I'm Utah going forward. And so you're in the playoffs. You're in the playoffs every single year. So if you go to the Big Twelve, you know it's a little bit tougher path. Still, you talking win the Big Twelve, but I just I just wonder if the TV revenue is going to be great enough from the Big Twelve from the Pac Twelve with the with the with the new playoff expansion for teams to move from the Pac Twelve to the Big Twelve. I I what are the numbers you're hearing when the TV contracts get renegotiated for the Big Twelve? What's the speculation? I mean, it's, it's all hearsay, Kyle. It's, it's, you know, I mean, 30 to 50, you know, people are saying it's going to be more than 50 in the big 12 uh, per team. And, and I mean, I, I can't believe any of it to be honest with you. And, and I'm, I'm uh, great friends with our athletic director, Chris Pesman. He and I played football together. We were on the same team for three years at Houston. Uh, he's one of my closest friends. I would never, uh, I, you know, I, I don't even bug him with it anymore, to be honest with you, because he gets he gets hit up every day about it. Like, what's how much what's the revenue going to be? What's the revenue going to be? Yeah. And and the reality is, here, here's the way I look at it, Kyle. I'm with you on what you just said. It makes what you just said is perfect. It makes perfect sense. 
if that's the case, then why did Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12 to go to the SEC? Why would well, they do that? More because revenue. Uh, way let's more, be totally way more honest. Revenue. They are going to be middle of the road, both of those schools, best case, middle of the road for 10 years. <laughs> they don't believe like, that. Like, though. just be totally straightforward. <laughs> they are not going to yeah. do anything for 10 years. 10 they don't years. Believe, but they, you can't tell Texas and Oklahoma fans that. They they don't hey, have man, that mindset. And, and also – I'm with you, buddy. Look, I mean, I live in Texas. I have cousins that were all, all right. Americans in Texas. I mean, I look, I know this – like it, yeah. and when you live in this state, we know we we yeah. all had cousins and brothers and, you know, we know each other. Right. Like we know each other worse than each other's, you know, step families. Like we're the worst state no, on the planet. I, I, right. But I'm just saying, man, like they're not going to do anything. They're not. It's not. Gonna no, happen. I agree with you. I agree with you. And, I just think- and so, so what that's what you got to look at is you got to look at you got to go for the money today. I don't, just don't know. I don't know dollars. how much greater the. I, I just don't know how much greater the the Big Twelve money is going to be than the Pac twelve money. I, I the Big Ten and the SEC are in a whole other stratosphere than everybody else. I, I just don't. I, I look at the Big Twelve and I look at the Pac twelve and I look at if everything stays the same. If the Big Twelve doesn't add anybody else, if the Pac twelve doesn't add anybody else, I look at it and I flip a coin. I think the TV money is going to be about the same. The only thing is that maybe the benefits of the Big Twelve, if I'm not mistaken, you should know this better than me. Their TV contract comes up before the Pac-12, and ESPN needs content with just with losing the Big Ten. That that may play to the Pac, to, excuse me, to the Big 12's advantage. Well, not just that, but it's not the Pac-12 anymore. It's it's back to the Pac-10. Well, yeah, I know. I'm I'm, I'm taking away. So, USC so now, now where are they? What are they going to go get? San Diego State? Who are they going to go take to to get back to 12? Right? Nobody cares about a 10 team conference anymore. Nobody, nobody cares about that. Anymore. I would, like I would, I would. If I was Pac-12, I would take San Diego State and SMU. No doubt, I, I would too. I would too. SMU is not going to bring you any fans, but they got money. They yep. got money, so they can help you. Uh, and they and get media you, market. They get the media market exactly. But uh, it's tough, man. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's there. You know, I, I think that the Big Twelve is in a good is in a good position. I know that people are all like, "You're losing Oklahoma and Texas. You're losing everything." I don't know. Let's see how Texas does against Alabama this week. That's going to tell us, you know, it's going to be the litmus test. Yeah. I think they're going to get destroyed. It's not even going to be funny. Mark is already uh, and I love to laugh at Texas, but it's not going to happen. Trust me. So it's it's like the only school that's respectable between the two is Oklahoma. But even they're going to struggle this year because they're rebuilding and they're, they got a new head coach and, and, and that type of thing. I just look, I, I'm, my whole thing is like, look, the reality is we got to start thinking about 16 team conferences. That's the that's where this thing's pointing. Look at the you know the the playoff thing. Yeah. They relined. It's all headed to sixteen team conferences. That's where it's going. And there's going to be there's look the Southwest Conference. I love it. I, look, I played in it. We dominated. We were better than the the SEC. We used to slap around the SEC schools all the time. And then guess what? We woke up and it was gone. It disappeared off the face of the earth. You got to be yeah. an old man like me to remember those days, but the Southwest no, Conference. Look at their note, Dave. You remember, buddy? You're not that old, but listen, I'm telling yeah. you that the Southwest Conference. We would not stand down from anybody back in those days. Had the, yeah, in fact, and they're back, gone. In those, back in those days, if you wanted to watch college football, you guys, uh, the Southwest Conference was one. Maybe USC. We had, there's not many schools that were on regular television back in those days, even yeah. the early days of cable, it was always Southwest Conference. Well, the irony is that it was Southwest Conference playing against a lot like Pac-12 and Big Ten. 
those were the those were the teams those were the schools that played against each other so my dad 1957 he flew out to ucla and played against you know played in the in the rose bowl for a regular season game against ucla as a as a, as a college student you know wow. so you you go back to way back in history i'm just saying you know things are going to change and and old traditions they went out the window 30 years ago when when the southwest conference was when when it got shot in the kneecaps that was it college football changed forever and and uh, it can happen again. There can be another conference that will disappear. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this, and then we'll move on and preview the uh, Texas Tech-Houston game. I, I think, and, and I don't think it's too late for the American schools to do this, uh, the ones that were left behind when you guys in UCF since I went to the Big 12. I I, I think had, had the playoff expansion happened last summer, I think the Mountain West schools, Boise State, Colorado State, Air Force, would have joined the American because they would have seen there the ability to yeah. form the six best conference. Instead, we're stuck with a bunch of conference USA castaways. Um, I, I, I still think right now, if you're the schools, Memphis, SMU for the time being, East Carolina, et cetera, I, I think you need to be getting on the phone right now with the top <laughs> schools in the Mountain West and form the best of league, the best of the rest. So you can be that six best conference as sixteen team league. I, I, I'm with you, Kyle, and and let me tell you, uh, I was completely impressed with the with the play against the Wolfpack this week. Just a, just a little side note to the ECU fans, you know, twenty one fourteen goal line stand. Uh, Julius Wood bringing the hammer. I mean, that's I, that stacks up any. I don't care what league you're in. That was a goal line stand that that could be it could be an SEC team against a you know, an ACC team. I don't care who it is. That was big time football. And that's what ECU can do. ECU can recruit kids like that. They can play football that, that get overlooked by other kids because they're from a small town in, in South Carolina or something. Uh, and that's what I love about schools. The, the, you know, that's what you guys are going to see next year with, with UTSA when they come into the, when they get into the American, that's going to be a great football game. When they play you guys, you, that's a, that's a great matchup, two great teams. Houston still has to get past you guys this year. You guys are going to give Houston a punch in the mouth. I mean, it's I'm excited about what this football season holds because the, the conference is strong and, and the recruiting says it all. So uh, schools like ECU and, and UTSA and, you know, there's some great schools in that conference. And, and a, a, could a super conference fold around those along with Boise and some of those schools? You know, boy, those guys in the West, don't forget, they can't fly by themselves. They, they don't make enough money. Uh, remember Boise State during during COVID, they furloughed their whole athletic department. Yep. Furloughed them. Don't forget that. That's different from what everybody else did. You know, some some guys said, "Okay, go take two weeks off and then come back. We'll still pay you." But they furloughed their whole athletic department. That means they didn't pay them. Yeah. And and that's a big deal. So they don't have money like a lot of us in the South do in the Southeast. You guys could help them. And I, I think there's I think there's a way that that there's a new conference, whether it's whatever it's the American or whatever, but there, I think that there's another way to get there with a super conference. That is the, that is just outside of the power five or the power four, whatever it becomes. No, I agree. Particularly with the six highest ranked conference champions. If that continues, yeah, I think there's a necessity to form a sixth best conference. And I, I no doubt do that by merging the best from the American with the best from the mountain West. And, uh, and, and we'll jump on Houston and Texas tech, but I did want to point out to you, as you mentioned, East Carolina and you're impressing of our football yeah. team, uh, we got you guys on senior day in Greenville. <laughs> I know. I don't want to hear it, but I know. 
Well, I'll tell you what, yeah, you know, game before, hey, Chad, before the game, you got to come to our tailgate. Oh, you know I will. Absolutely. I'll swing by. Absolutely. We're right near the practice field, right behind the stadium. I'm so old now. I finally have moved on up where I used to have to walk far, far away, but now I'm old enough where I can I can be right near the stadium. <laughs> I'll be there, brothers. You know I will. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the game. Uh, that's why we have you on. Houston at Texas yeah. Tech. Uh, Houston, uh, obviously, uh, we, we think that they have a good shot. We talked to you a, a couple weeks ago. We feel like they have a good shot to win the league. Uh, what, and we obviously want Houston to win this week, obviously, to represent the American very, you know, well. Uh, what do they have to do to win there in Lubbock? Well, it's, you know, it's an old rival. It's an old uh, in-state rival. Um, not a lot of love lost between these two schools. You know, last couple matchups. Last last year, we had them in Houston uh, at Reliance Stadium. Uh, you know, right there in the, where the Texans play. It was, it was a big deal. You know, Houston struggled and uh, looked great. Looked great in the first quarter. Looked great going into the first half. Had no gas in the second half. And uh, you know, they they had struggled with Tyler Shuck, who was the quarterback transfer from Oregon, who had started there two years ago. Uh, but even this year, Tyler is, uh, you know, he got hurt in the first game. He wasn't the def- he wasn't like the definitive starter at Texas Tech this year. So I think Tech's trying to figure out who they are, to be totally honest with you. They're trying to really uh, understand what they have uh, uh, as an offense. They've got a great coaching staff. Uh, one of my old college teammates is, is an assistant head coach there and, and running backs coach, special teams coordinator Kenny Perry. These guys are extremely well prepared. They're great recruiters. Uh, it's a great staff. Uh, it's a great matchup for the University of Houston. Yeah, not not a lot of marquee games this week, so it's a good week for this game to happen. To get a lot of eyeballs on it. Yeah, and and that's good. You know, I think that I think within the state of Texas, people are going to be interested. So, you know, it it's a it's, again, it's an old it's an old rivalry. Uh, if, if you you know glance at some of the the trending topics on Twitter, there was one in Houston that was talking about the game. And, it, and then there was a lot of throwback pictures from some old games between the two through the years. And, and uh, you know, brings back great memories, but but also really kind of rekindles that old flame that, that uh, you know, Texas Tech recruits the Houston area extremely well. They do a great job of getting big guys out of Houston. They get skill players out of Houston. There's, there's a little overlap within the rosters. There's a running back at the University of Houston, Tejon Henry, who Houston recruited really hard out of high school. He went to Lamar High School right in in town, right in town in the city of Houston. And uh, Tejan initially had thought he wanted to go to Houston. He decided he wanted to go to Texas Tech. Well, he went to Tech for two years, decided he wanted to come home. A lot of kids do that, and they want to come home and play in front of mom and dad and, and make it an easier way for mom and dad to see him. So Tejan's on our sideline. He had a great year last year. He got dinged up a little bit uh, in the first quarter against UTSA, but I expect Tejon to have a huge game. Yeah, absolutely. What is the line on this game? I, I should – well, somebody just got something. Uh, what is the line on this game? I should know that, but I don't off the top of my head. I, I have not checked, to be totally honest okay. with you. I was so <laughs> caught up in the line last week and, and the four points, and at the end of the game I was like, how do they get that every time? It was, I mean, like if if, if UTSA hadn't driven the field and, and kicked that extra point, it would have been one of those like, how did how do they for, figure that out? But uh, the overtime changed everything. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'll be curious to see what the line is, especially that as we get closer to kickoff. I think it'll kind of tighten a little bit. But 
Uh, you know, t again, their starting quarterback, Tyler Shuck, is not going to be uh, starting this week. They're holding him out. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Bobby, do you have the line? Uh, give me one moment. I'll have it. Uh, let's see. So Texas Tech is holding out their starting quarterback. Um, I would expect Houston. To I think he got dinged up a little bit. I think he, Te I think he got hurt. Yeah. Texas, Texas Tech by three and a half. There you With go. Their, without their quarterback. Yeah, give me Houston and the points. Houston. <laughs> that's a, that's a that's one of those curveballs, you know. And and I, I, I imagine it'll like I said, I I'm sure it'll tighten up a little bit as we get closer to kickoff. Yeah, no doubt. Uh but without their quarterback, um yeah. you, you guys you guys have a good football team. Uh, yeah, I, I uh I, I'd, I'd be even willing to take you guys straight up. I mean, for you, but you know, if you're out there, if you're out there looking for gambling advice, uh, take Houston and the points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, the thing that's so exciting for Houston is that really defense is becoming their calling card. And I think we might have talked about it this summer a little bit, but and and I mentioned how last year Houston had two defensive lines that were young. They had they had basically eight guys that were they were kind of shuffling in and out. And then they had two guys that graduated. So now we're down to about six guys. But then there's two couple young guys that are coming up. So we're back to eight guys, the starting four, and then the number twos. You really can't tell the difference right now between the ones and twos on that defensive line. The exciting thing to me <clears throat> is that the U of H defense, it generated the most quarterback pressures in week one in college football. Houston had 34 uh, – they had 34 QB pressures – the really cool part about it is that in all of college football, six players had eight or more pressures in week one. In all of college football, six total players had eight or more college uh, uh, quarterback pressures. Three of those six were on the U of H defensive line. Three of those guys on the U of H defensive line had eight or more pressures on the quarterback. Give that a little thought. Now, the no. fact that we didn't have sacks is a problem. I'll just say they, they were all eight, uh, you know, uh, all of those were, were pressures. They weren't sacks. But it also shows you what kind of talent that UTSA has at quarterback, incredibly elusive quarterback. They were getting to him. They just couldn't get him down. That's what it came down to. And uh, I, that's not going to change. That's not going to change. That's a calling card for the University of Houston. That front seven at U of H is really powerful. I think they're going to give some uh, some pressure to that Texas Tech offense. Yeah. How how what do you know about Texas Tech's backup quarterback? How much experience does he have? When when you mentioned getting that kind of pressure on the quarterback, I immediately think you're playing your backup quarterback. That could that could spell turnovers. You know it it can it can. So Donovan Smith, six five two thirty quarterback. He's a sophomore. He's a young guy. However. It was a quarterback battle, to be honest with you, going yeah. into the season. So it wasn't, you know, Tyler Shuck, who came from, again, started at Oregon two years ago, played in the bowl game, was an incredible talent, and then he transfers. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, why are you leaving Oregon to go to Tech? You know, this is the world that we live in with free agency and football. Uh, but Donovan Smith, he's uh, he's a talented kid. You know, he averaged he, – he's 14 for 16, 221 yards. I mean, you can't complain that in his, in his backup pitch and roll – um, to me, that's a talented quarterback. You know, the Cougars are going to have to get after him. My only, you know, my hope is he's a big guy, 6'5", 230. Uh, now, it doesn't mean he can't run, but it also means he's a big target. And I know our DNs are going to get after ball. They're going to get after that that quarterback. And, uh, you know, if he's not elusive in the pocket, that's going to be a problem. 
You remember a quarterback at East Carolina named David Girard? He was about that size, and uh, oh, yeah. he was pretty dang elusive. And even if he wasn't elusive, he'd just stand there and take the hit and get the pass off anyway. David was one of the best. Loved, loved watching him in the NFL, too. Yeah. No doubt. Ted, it's going to be great. Uh, I know it's going to be a great game uh, this weekend. And, uh, I, again, November 19th, we've already circled the date when Ted's coming to town. <laughs> now, do get- I need to, like, sweater up? What do we – Tell me about the weather. Guys. It depends, November, man. It totally de- it totally depends. It could be it could be seventy five degrees or it could be forty five degrees. It, it, <laughs> November is a weird time in eastern North Carolina. Uh, really, pretty much from November till early January, you don't know what you're going to get. And then typically, it stays cold for about three weeks in January, and then yeah. after that, you're back to you don't know what you're going to get. But uh, yeah, hey, that's you, life in the South, baby. Yeah, that's why you, we love it, right? You, you, yeah. It could be seventy five or it could be forty five. Yeah, Ted, uh, you can actually – the old joke is that if you don't like North Carolina w- weather, just wait like 10 minutes or more, and you'll <laughs> it changes so much. So, uh, how Sounds can people, familiar. How can people hear you on Saturday? You know, I'm a broadcasting nerd, so we would love to hear your broadcast yeah. and, and find out Absolutely. more. Absolutely. No, if, if uh, you know, if you're bored, there's, uh, you know, there's a variety of ways you can you can tune in with me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter, at party underscore time, my first – or my last name – party time uh, with an underscore in between uh, you can also follow me on instagram party time dot 32 my number um, number 32 um, and then uh, the varsity network is a great way to listen to uh, uh, our broadcast it's a it's a free app you can download uh, all of the learfield schools kind of participate in that as you guys are probably aware of but uh, if you're interested sure. just download that uh, varsity app and and dial in U of H football, and you'll catch our broadcast right there. We missed the varsity. We're no longer, unfortunately, with Learfield. That's a whole other show. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> My bad. My Sorry about that, guys. No, 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 no. We were with uh, – you are correct. We were with Learfield until this year. Right. So They were with Playfly, and uh, I don't okay. know. I really Play need Fly. to – do they have an app? I need to figure that out. I don't know. Uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> there you go. We'll, there you we'll go. find out. Ted, thanks so much, my friend, and look forward to no, seeing you. You guys are great. Hey, yeah. and I, I'll definitely come to the uh, – at least I'll come see you in the tailgate, but uh, look forward to seeing you guys in the fall. Good luck the rest of the season, all right? Thanks. All right, thanks, we'll, thanks all right have a all good right, one. Guys. Take care. Right, good we'll night. Bye-bye. Great guy there. And another great guy coming up. We have uh, Jeff Sharon, I believe, coming up. Now the Louisville game on Saturday. We'll talk about that big game. As you're watching and listening to the Inside Slant, it's a weekly – College football preview. We do it every Thursday night. If you're wondering, we did this in the past, uh, but now we want to uh, let everybody know. Where the hell's Semenza, Dave? Where, where's Matt? This is right up his alley. I know he. Uh, I think he had to work tonight late, and he just sent me a text that he's guest, so we won't be getting a late Matt Semenza. Uh, but now we're going to go to Jeff, and I think Bubba, we're getting ready to do that right now. Uh, Jeff's been backstage. He's. Uh, I think he may have beat a record for longest time in the. Green room, and I'll bring him in now. Jeff, how are you, man? What's up, fellas? Good to be with you. It's been a, it's been a minute. It has. It has. Great to have you back here on the show. And we've actually made the Inside Slant a uh, weekly show now. Every We were doing it, obviously, because of the crazy COVID year, if you probably remember, in 2020. Um, but now we've How had, can I forget? <laughs> exactly. I want to forget it. Um, but we actually have uh, nightly programming now, Jeff. We've moved up to the big, the big time. And um, every single day we have a show. Um, so we uh, this is uh, our Thursday show. 
and we have you on talking college football, a big game uh, on Saturday, right? Yeah, we got a uh, Friday night, tomorrow night, actually oh, seven 30 okay. kick. Uh, yeah. On national TV, UCF and Louisville, uh, big revenge game for UCF after last year's game, which ended about as disastrously as any game I can possibly remember in program history, at least since I've been following it. Um, but uh, first time that we're playing Louisville in Orlando, so should be a very good crowd tomorrow. We're a little worried about the weather, as we always are in Orlando. But um, if things uh, if things work out, it should be it should be a spectacle tomorrow. Let me ask you a question: If uh, you had most chance to watch much game film from the Syracuse game, I didn't watch any of that game. But I saw the score. What in the hell happened? I, 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 I don't, I don't understand how you have that quarterback and put up seven points. I just, I well, a, a couple things happened. You know, I didn't get the chance to watch much of the game film, but I talked to um, John Powell, who works for our SB Nation sister site that covers uh, Louisville, and also I got my master's degree from Syracuse, so I was all, I was all about you know seeing what happened. But even I was like, what? One of the questions I asked him for our little uh, Q&A with our sister site is exactly that. What the hell happened last week? And uh, a, a couple things. The first thing was Louisville turned the ball over and gave Syracuse short fields. Uh, twice they did that. Uh, and then uh, on the other side of it was uh, Sean Tucker, who took advantage of a Louisville defense that has really five new guys who came in via the transfer portal and are still and still look like they were – feeling their way around. Um, I mean, Malik Cunningham actually didn't have a bad game aside from the, the two picks he threw, but um, you know, he, uh, he was kind of playing with one hand tied behind his back. Did that uh, get any help on the running game at all? Uh, no, I mean, not, not overly much, but, uh, but the other, the real problem for Louisville was their defense because uh, I don't know. They you, also, you only score seven points. I don't know how much that reflects. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, here's, it, I mean, the thing is with, with what Syracuse is able to do, I mean, they, Sean Tucker is the real deal and they were able to control. The clock. Control. Okay. Yeah. And, and the other thing was they, uh, uh, uh Spencer Schrader, Syracuse's, uh, or uh, Syracuse's quarterback, uh, you know, threw for over 200 and ran for ran for almost 100, and that has us down here in Orlando pretty excited because we've got John Rice Plumley, who yeah. threw for 300 and ran for almost 100 last week against South Carolina State in the opener. So, um, so there's, I, I'm kind of on the fence by, about this, but then again, I have I, I grew up with UCF in the early 2000s in our PTSD, collective PTSD as a program, uh, you know, playing, you know, big games and losing them in, in, in spectacularly strange fashions. And, um, and so, so I, I, you know, I, I think that the team that we saw last week in the, in the carrier dome, and I know it's not called the carrier dome anymore, but I don't care, uh, is, is not the same, is not the team we're going to see tomorrow night. I think we're going to see a Louisville team that's good. You uh, I it, it, the sort of the wounded dog thing kind of comes to mind with them. You gotta you gotta watch out for them because now Scott Satterfield it feels like is coaching for his job at this well, point right now. Yeah, he you is. Read my, you read my mind. That that was one of the questions I had for you. Is uh will the players respond? Because the guy, like, you know, he he's a winner. And I'm going, what in the speaking uh when Kyle said what the hell's happened, what in the hell's happened to Scott Satterfield? I mean, is he a winner? 
I mean, I you know, Appalachian State kind of just been on cruise control without him. I mean, you know, he's, he he wanted App State. Well, so so does every damn body else. Um, he he hadn't done much at Louisville. I you know I, I it's I I honestly we're gonna find out tomorrow. I think you know tomorrow is one of those games where you know I think we're gonna find out. We didn't really find out much about either team last week. I really don't think so. Uh, I think Louisville came out and, and got complete and completely laid an egg, and they have a weird schedule. They're actually playing Florida State next week. Oof. They're playing South Florida the week after that, which is basically a bye week. Um, they play James <laughs> Madison. Their non-conference schedule is bizarre. They play James Madison uh, in the middle of in early November, and then of course they play Kentucky in the last weekend of the year. So wow. Um, it's wow. a, it's they they have the oddest schedule in the ACC from what I can tell. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what. Um, they got you guys this week. Florida State next week. Um, I'm not sure Satterfield survives after week three. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if he starts off zero and three and that then they throw him the door. Uh, I, well, I mean, it, that's that's not outside the realm of possibility, especially if they don't play well tomorrow night. And you say South Florida's bye week. I expect them to get better as the season goes on with that Baylor quarterback. I mean, uh, they looked atrocious against BYU, but I I, I would hope they're, they're going to improve. If not, then that dude will be you out. Speaking of a guy who's coaching for his job yeah. is Jeff Scott yeah, right now. No, no doubt. What, what, three games in two years? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, one, they're 1-19 and 19 against FBS opponents in the last 20 games. And, and I'm going to tell you what, if we're on Louisville, and you mentioned JMU, uh, I'm telling you, JMU is a hell of an FCS program. Moved up to FBS this year, and their first FBS game against Middle Tennessee State. I don't know if you saw that score, but they uh, they 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 dominated them. They won. I, I yeah. I, listen, I know better than to than to than to sleep on a program like James Madison. I, they they that that's a legit a legit program. That probably should have been FBS a while ago if we yeah. if if this was like English Premier League soccer. And they would have been. They had their opportunity actually. Yeah. They they had their opportunity to move up to the Sun Belt during the last round of conference expansion and turn it down. Um, they wanted to be in America. Oh, yeah, they, they, they were probably like, now nah, we're USA. good. We're they fine. Wanted, we're we're, yeah. we're fine right where we are. Thank they you wanted very to be much. Conference USA appreciate. at the time, and uh, <laughs> now look at where the Sun Belt is and where Conference USA is, and uh, exactly. So they were more than happy to go to the Sun Belt this time around. <laughs> I don't blame them in one bit, uh, but that's yeah, that's a legit program. But uh, but yeah, I, I, Louisville's schedule is just really odd. Um, if Satterfield can turn it around, you know, and I actually I actually think that he, depending on how they play tomorrow, he can get a, a, a he should get a bit of a reprieve. I think um, if they play well tomorrow and lose on the road in the environment such as the bounce house. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't see Louisville pulling the trigger just yet. Um, but if they lay an egg, uh, all bets are off. Hey Jeff, I have a question for you. It's the battle of the Scots. So you have to me, <laughs> Scott Frost or Scott Satterfield, who's going to get fired first on uh, the, there in the hot seat. I mean, both those guys are. I mean, and, and, and don't forget about Coach Scott at USF and Jeff oh, yeah, Scott. Scott yeah. uh, Battle the Scots. Golly, uh, you know, I 
I'm it's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to say Frost. I'll tell you why. Okay. They made a big deal about this in the game in the, in the game out that they played out in Ireland. Is his close game luck is historically bad. Historically bad, like to the point where, you know, if if you were to actually you know sit back and analyze it, like that they're actually due to have to win a number of close games in a row. Now you could easily say, well, you know, is, is that the fault of the, of, of the coaching? I mean, these games are coming down to one play and you guys know just as well as anybody, you could be the, you could be the best coach team in the country. If you flip tails on that one play and you lose, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, we, we all have seen that happen many times and, it, and it's like, it's like he's flipped tails 20 times in a row. Like, what are you going to do? So I, I'm I'm not as entirely in on Frost getting the gate. They also have a lot invested in him right now. Um, uh, Satterfield kind of feels like that uh, that he might be the first to go. But then, you know, again, what does what does South Florida? Do? I mean, that's why you know we saw Jerry Bohannon, who you were talking about, Kyle, um, the quarterback from Baylor, who came in as a as a grad yeah. transfer. To try and you know that was that was really a a win now move by Jeff Scott to bring yeah. him in because he had Timmy McLean who went to Seminole High School which is in Sanford a few miles away from UCF who played really well against us in the in in the final game of the season uh, and and is a really talented a really talented player but needs to be developed and they were in on developing him. And then, you know, I mean, the message must have come down from up top that, hey, you know, you need to win now. You don't have time to develop a true sophomore quarterback. So he hands the keys to Jerry Bohannon. What does Timmy McLean do? Immediately transfers to UCF and is sitting out the year because it was after the deadline. But he's the scout team quarterback now. And uh, could not have come at a better time to face a guy like Malik Cunningham. Well, no doubt, that's crazy. But Satterfield, um, my get sorry, we're uh, want to talk about your game <laughs> uh, more. But Satterfield actually, uh, Dave's cutting out on my end. I don't know if that's me or him. Is he cutting out on your end? Uh, I, he's cutting out on my end too. Sorry, Dave. We'll get you back. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you were talking. Yeah, we can now, Dave. Go ahead. Okay. I was just saying the Louisville fans are not happy because uh, I can't remember which job he applied for. They found out about it. But, I mean, every coach in America applies for jobs. South Carolina. That's right, South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. That was the point where people were starting to really like, okay, you're not winning here, and we're Louisville. We're great. And we're Louisville, and you're going to South Carolina, which I have no problems with South Carolina, but that was their attitude: is like, why would you leave Louisville? And so that's when I heard that. You see the the kind of checks that they're handing out to SEC coaches these days. That's why. Yeah, but and and like you guys were talking about earlier, that's only going to go up in the next few years. He hasn't successful enough to think he he could leave Louisville for South Carolina, in my opinion. But I mean, he's only had one good season there, really. I, uh, I mean, it, t- it takes two to tango on that, though, Kyle, you know? I mean, he uh, he's 
somebody, somebody in South Carolina must have been like, let's let, you know, let's, let's do our due diligence on that. Oh, I'm you know? sure there was a conversation. He's a Carolina boy. And, uh, he, uh, I'm sure his agent contacted uh, South Carolina and they talked to him and, you know, but nonetheless, uh, you know, that would have been forgotten had he just had a good season last year. Right. Um, and then yeah. they were favored against Syracuse. I mean, you're the favorite on the road and you get your ass handed to you. Uh, you you're, he's living on borrowed time. And if they go down to Orlando this week and you guys blow them out, and I think that, I, I, I think there's a good chance that could happen. You know, I, I do, I, I, I do know what that quarterback can do when he gets hot. So, you know, I am a little cautious for UCF not to – I know probably UCF's fan base, there's a there's a good portion of them that thinks blowout because of what happened against Syracuse. Um, but I, I'd be a little cautious because if that quarterback gets hot, it could be a ball game. I do fully expect the Knights to win this game. What's the line, by the way? Five and a half for you UCF. Five and a half, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just checked it on uh, – I just checked it on Odd Shark a second ago, and uh, I'll give you, tell it to you right now. And I, I like – I like what they give because they give the percentage of bets that have been placed on yeah. one side or the other. 79% of the bets have been on UCF minus the five and a half. Yeah. Um, it seems like a safe bet. I mean, I, yeah. it, I, it, I, it, I, I still don't, I'm not so sure about, about the fan base though. Like you were saying, I just like, I think we're all still cut. We all still have PTSD from last year. <laughs> I, 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 um, I look at that line and to me, when a line doesn't look right, um, you know, I, I scares me. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Based on perception coming into the year, and Vegas uses that for the first two or three weeks. It, it, even if you shit the bed in week one, they're still going to kind of look at what they projected you to be uh, before the season going into week two. So uh, that line, if this was week three or four, and Louisville had been playing like that, would look weird to me, and I'd be scared to touch it. Um, I, I I think it's a pretty safe bet to take UCF in the points. I mean, it's a home game under the lights. Uh, UCF has actually since UCF has UCF beat ECU last year in that uh, tight one down in Orlando. Uh, UCF has won uh, eight of its last ten, and their only losses were to Cincinnati and SMU. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of how uh, of what what UCF has been uh, been able to accomplish and. Those uh, and uh, nine of those th- those first nine games in the last ten were with uh, were with Mikey Keene at quarterback too, who took over for Dylan Gabriel after Dylan got hurt on the last play of the game against Louisville last year, where they did the uh, the lateral play and he got his collarbone broken. And that was the last time we saw him in a UCF uniform. He's in Oklahoma now, uh, lit it up in his first game there. But um, you know, we got John Rice Plumley now, who actually beat Keen out for the starting uh, quarterback job. Uh, who fans might remember uh, for in 2019, he actually ran for 1,000 yards as a quarterback uh, at Ole Miss. He, he was split in time with Matt Corral, and then uh, Lane Kiffin came in after that season and handed the keys to Corral, and Plumley switched over to wide receiver. Didn't really do much there. Uh, he had a prior relationship with Gus because Gus recruited him hard to come to Auburn. Um, the uh, and uh, even though he committed to Georgia initially and then went decided to go to Ole Miss, um, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's a small business, right? So uh, he comes in. Uh, UCF has given him the opportunity also to play two sports, football and baseball, uh, which he did at Ole Miss. He's also an amazing piano player, by the way. I've actually seen him play piano. He's a really good piano player. 
and um, and he won the starting quarterback job. And uh, his first uh, his first game last week could not have asked for much more from him. Four touchdown passes, ran for a touchdown, uh, ran for uh, there was they had some problems with the stats last week, and so. Um, we initially thought that he was the first UCF quarterback in school history to throw for 300 and run for 101 game. Um, but the official stats had him down for 86 rushing yards and over 300 passing yards. But, um, either way, you know, there were a lot of questions about his, I mean, his running ability second to none. The dude's one of the fastest guys in the American at any position. Actually, he was one of the fastest players in the SEC when he was there. Um, the questions were about his arm, you know, could he make the throws? Was he accurate enough? He was a little off target on a few of the plays. He, he almost overthrew a wide open receiver in the back of the end zone. Um, but it did, but he did come down with it for a touchdown. Um, and, and some of the decisions that he was making, I, he, he it looked like he was trying to throw the ball into some tight windows, maybe through, through the ball with a little bit too much, juice on it and had and had a couple drops it went right through receivers hands but um but I, I think overall for a guy who plays his first game at quarterback in over a year and a half um you know I think I, I think that his debut probably could not have gone any better but we're really going to find out what we got against Louisville and the perfect style quarterback to play in that Gus Malzahn system also yeah I, I mean it, it's it's we saw that uh and he's I mean, I still think like the perfect quarterback to play in Gus Malzahn's system was Cam Newton, <laughs> but uh, you know, considering that Gus had him, you know, John John Rice is about six one, Cam is gigantic, um, but uh, it, it, it's he he's certainly out of all the guys on the on the roster aside from Tommy Castellanos, who Gus spent a lot of recruiting capital bringing in as a, a true freshman, and we saw at the very tail end uh, in garbage time last week. Um, John Rice is the guy. John Rice is the is the is exactly the kind of guy that you know fits. He he opens up the playbook for Gus. I think is the most important thing. Last year, you know, with, with Keen, uh, Keen is not a very good runner. Um, you know, a, a, a Gus kind of had to design a, the offense around him and really couldn't use all of the ammo that he had. Now he can with a guy like John Rice Plumley back there. Talk about some of that talent around Plumlee. Uh, you, you, you have guys, um, obviously, Bowser and Richardson, uh, Ryan O'Keefe, and uh, Baker had a solid game a week ago, five catches for 84 yards. So talk about that skilled talent around John Rice Plumlee. Well, that's been – that's really the crux of the offense, right? Because in Gus's system, the quarterback's primary job – is to get the ball to the playmakers in space, however you can do it. Isaiah Bowser, they uh, they took good care of him over the offseason. He got banged up a lot last year, including in the Louisville game. He took a couple shots on his knee that he's that actually still to this you know uh, you know to this day are you know, something that they kind of watch out for. Um, Johnny Richardson didn't do overly much last year, uh, but. Um, you know, obviously we know about the speed that he's got. Ryan O'Keefe was spectacular last year. He's back. And then of course, like you were saying, Bubba, we got, uh, Javon Baker who came over from Alabama. If you play wide receiver at Alabama, you're pretty good. Uh, and then also, uh, and then also people forget 
Kimari Gamble, tight end from Florida, who was, uh, who was a Gator last year in the bowl game when we beat him, and uh, and, and is now sort of a sort of a, more of an outside tight end, much more of a pass catcher rather than a blocker. He caught a touchdown pass yesterday uh, or last week. Uh, so that the talent back there is is uh, is significant. And John Rice did a good job of distributing the ball last week, and we'll see what he can do this week doing the same thing. Tell us about the defensive side of the ball. You know what what are the Knights uh, looking like there as they prepare to take on uh, Scott Satterfield's Louisville Cardinals? Well, defensively, the strength for the Knights has been is up front in the in the line and in the back. In the secondary, very experienced secondary. Devontae Brown's probably the best guy back there. Um, uh, up front, you got uh, you got guys like Ricky Barber, Tremont Morris, Brash is back, uh, who are really talented. They held South Carolina State, and I know it's an FCS opponent, but they held South Carolina State to 91 total yards last week uh, in the game. The question has always been, what are you going to get from the linebackers? Uh, because we had a lot of uh, guys graduate. We had some got Tatum Bethune transferred out to Florida State, so the linebacking core was a little thin. I thought that they played pretty well, but uh, uh, Travis Williams, defensive coordinator, I think is has really done a fine job of making sure that he can kind of cover the weaknesses as he can with that strong defensive line up front, and playing a couple guys in some hybrid positions that put them in positions to make plays on the ball. And I think that's the, that, that has been, that was certainly the case last week. Um, couldn't ask much more from those guys than that. Uh, and, uh, but again, you know, it, you face a different challenge with Malik this week. So what do you do against that Louisville offense and a, and a dual threat quarterback and dual threat quarterbacks have traditionally given UCF a lot of problems. We only have to look to last year's game to see that, but um, you know, this again, big test for everybody. We're going to find out a lot this week. Sounds like it's going to be a great one. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be pulling hard for you guys. Uh, <laughs> not a Louisville fan. Hey, goes all the way back to, listen, the- I was going to say like, us on the American Dave, we all got to root for each other in this last, you know, I keep telling UCF fans this, you know, all the time. I'm like, we should hope that every American team goes undefeated before you enter conference play. It helps. It helps our chances if we have yep. a special season like you guys had. What was it twenty five games in a row? Or twenty five wins in a row. Yeah, unbelievable, Jeff. Man, how can we find your work? And thanks. Uh, we promise it won't be uh, the length of time it was for. I guess it was a couple of years. A good bit of time before since the last time you've been on with us. But uh, yeah, just- yeah. But well, I'm on. I personally am at Jeff underscore Sharon, but I encourage everybody to follow UCF Banneret underscore SBN. That's Black and Gold Banneret. We are uh, UCF's SB Nation team site, uh, covering not just UCF football but also all the sports at UCF. And we have a pretty good track record of keeping tra- of uh, of looking at UCF's history, which we're really proud of. And uh, and yeah, like I said, it's going to be uh, uh, it, it's it's a busy busy year for UCF with going also going to the big 12. I heard Kyle and, and Dave, you guys were talking, um, you know, earlier, uh, with our guests from Houston about, uh, uh, about the big 12 and everything and, and, and moving into the big 12. I'll tell you, you know, change, uh, the only thing that's constant in the world is change. Yeah. And, you know, I know, I know that, and I'm, you know, right with you guys in terms of, you know, it's, it's sad to see some, tra- some, you know, old traditions go by the wayside, but, 
you know, the, the Pac-12, I think, is in real trouble. Um, well, well, Jeff, I personally think if the if the Big 12 is going to bring in some schools from the Pac-12, I think uh, that puts UCF, Cincinnati, and West Virginia on an island, and I think you guys need somebody from the east to kind of even things baby. out. You know, so <laughs> as, the Pirates, as the Pirates begin to get on the roll this year and start to dominate the American, um, uh, you know, we can't do anything about our media market, but we got a fan base. And uh, we're about to be really good in football. So, well, I, you know, I, I, the thing is about the Big Twelve is that you know, the whole. I think we're seeing we're going to start seeing you know, ESPN, Disney, college football, mm-hmm. and everybody else college football. And I think we, you know, in particular with the Big Twelve, here, here's the thing that people forget with the Pac-12, they have no grant of rights. So, Oregon and Washington, they know that they're going to get that that invite to the big 10 at some point, they're just waiting for Notre Dame to figure out what they want to do. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Stanford and Cal go with him. And I know people laugh about Cal, but you know, college football is political and Cal is a UC school. UCLA is a UC school. You know, they, they have to make UC whole university of California system, which is one of the best college best public school systems in the United States, maybe the best in terms of state schools. Um, that's why you heard Cal sort of get mentioned with going to the big, obviously we talk about Stanford and the academics. Um, people forget that the big 10 is an academic league first, but sure. You know, it, it, it but if you forget that, it, you know, it, you got to remember that if, you know, Oregon and Washington, if they get the call from the big 10, and the Arizona and the four corner schools, as we call them, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, get that lifeboat from the Big 12, um, as has been speculated in a number of places. Well, guess what? That is enough votes to dissolve the Pac-12. Yes, right. and, when you dissolve, and when you dissolve the conference, here's, here's the kicker. You dissolve the conference, you can also instruct your lawyers to drop any lawsuits that may be filed on behalf of the conference. So, no, and, and by the way, there's no exit fee for the Pac-12. Yeah. And if you're if you're Oregon and Washington, if you're going to sign a new television contract, why would you agree to a grant of rights? Like, it, it, which is the only thing that can really hold a league together these days. Just ask the ACC, right? right. So, I don't know, man. It, it is not looking good for that for the, for the Pac-12 right now. And if I'm the Big 12, I'm like, hey, I'm sitting in the catbird seat. And by the way, they just announced uh, that they are already opening their negotiations for their TV contract ahead of the Pac-12. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. To me, that'll be the thing. How much money will the Big 12 get? How much money is ESPN looking to spend because of losing the Big 10? How mm-hmm. much money will they, you know, it won't be said if uh, they it won't come out officially, but there'll be numbers talked about about how much they will give them if those four corner schools come in. Um, I think that's going to be the key right there is how much yep. more money will the Big yeah. Twelve get than the Pac twelve? That's why they opened up the that window. And Brett, you are Mark, the new commissioner of the Big Twelve. It's it's a boss move by him because he can go yeah. he, he can go to his TV partners. And I think it's going to be a combined thing with probably Disney and Fox, just based on inventory situations. Don't forget, this is probably the best basketball league in the country now. And then you're going to add Arizona to that mix? Forget about it. And Utah. So um, he can go to them and say, look, 
here's the money that we're looking at if you guys join. Now, you want to hop on board with us or do you want to tie yourself to a sinking ship? Because you know Oregon and Washington are going to bolt as soon as they get a phone call from the Big Ten. You know that's going to happen. So what do you want to do, guys? And it's, 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 it is a business. It is a business, but you know, and only the strong survive in college football. And I'm just glad that we got in on the other side, along with Houston, Cincinnati, to 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 get to this. And that's the thing is that you know you were talking about Kyle, you were talking about market size. Yeah, cable markets don't really matter as much as they used to because tell, tell Mike Oresco's dumbass that. Well, uh, here's well here's the thing that about that, and I talked about that with other people is it's about it's about potential uh, enrollment, which leads to streaming customers and people to, it, which leads to stream, streaming customers and people who buy yeah, you know, I agree with you. tickets and apparel. And here's the thing. And I think this is what, you know, Oresco kind of has a business model here with the American because look at what he's been able to do. He hitched his league 10 years ago to a bunch of schools, ECU notwithstanding, but a bunch of schools that are sort of the number two school located in a ma- in major media markets, kind of like the old Metro Conference, right? So, you know, maybe you're, you know, if like, for example, uh, Houston's a good example. Yes, Texas is the big dog, but Houston pumps out a lot of graduates and it's located in it and it's, and is the, and is a big place. Yeah. It's, it's a big school. UCF. I get it. Florida, right? We're not that far away. A lot of kids are coming to UCF, largest enrollment in the country. All right. So what does he do now? He pulls in Charlotte. Yeah, North Carolina, Duke, NC State of the big dogs. Charlotte pumps out a lot of graduates. Nobody UNT. Cares Charlotte. Nobody cares about Charlotte. Well, I know how you feel about Charlotte. But I'm, you know right. Something? I'm, I'm right. I'm right. But but nobody but, cares about I live here. Nobody cares about Charlotte. Except for people who that who are there. But they Nobody listen, cares Kyle, about Charlotte. They but, they but Kyle, out of they said they said the same exact things about us fifteen years ago, and look what happened. It's not going to happen to Charlotte. I'm not saying it will, but that's the business model. The 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 the, the team he should have took in this area if he wanted the team in a major market in this area should have been no should have been Old Dominion. Old Dominion. There, there's the biggest media market in America without a professional sports team. Old Dominion has a has a presence in that area. Uh, they could become the number three school in Virginia. I think they already are. That would have been the move in this area, not Charlotte. Charlotte was a mistake. UAB was a mistake. Nobody cares about UAB. Somebody, nobody's ever going to care about. Nobody ever has cared about UAB. The, the only school that he had. I, I, I'm having I'm having PSA. flashbacks right now to some of the stuff that you're saying because well, they said the same thing about UCF. I never said it about UCF. I know you didn't, but I've heard a number of other people say it. And I'm saying, and listen, UTSA all of a sudden, was so, the only one with the right it. administration, and with the right administration, and what we saw in the last 10 years is you catch lightning in a bottle. They caught lightning in a bottle with Houston, with Cincinnati, with UCF. You just never know when a good when a good administration comes in, who hires a good coach, who all of a sudden starts pumping out a team that starts winning games. And by the way, He's got a really good contract, media contract with ESPN. So you know that they're going to get talked about, right? Go ask the Mountain West how their television contract is. And I know everyone likes to talk about, oh, let's go get Mountain West schools. Look at that TV contract. 
They nobody cares about them. You, even even fewer people care about the entire Mountain West Conference than care about Charlotte because they're not on television. So if you, if you're on ESPN, you have the bully pulpit. It's been good for the. It's been great for the American over the last ten years. We pr- this conference has provided ESPN with a lot of good content. And oh, I agree. And you just, I'm just saying, you you never know. You were talking earlier about UTSA. That's the school, UTSA, and I know you're going to laugh, but Florida Atlantic. Those are the two schools who, Oh, no, I think Florida Atlantic has potential because Boca Raton, they got a nice stadium. They they, they got potential. UTSA was was a great ad. Charlotte, I would have went Old Dominion. Um, There's a whole, I would have taken Marshall. You look at no, nah, you don't at, want Marshall. Look at the, <laughs> you don't want you don't want Huntington, West Virginia. Why's that? Because there that the, that school has a has a very low ceiling in terms of pumping out graduates and enrollment, and has a very limited, very limited television audience. Not talking about television market. I'm talking about television audience. They just do not draw outside of uh, outside of West Virginia. Uh, in average years and there's just not a, there's just not enough people in the area that cares about Marshall to sustain that yeah I, I maybe maybe not I, I'll, I'll I'll say this about Charlotte and, and and then we'll wrap that discussion up of, of all the teams they added and I can tell you because East Carolina North Carolina North Carolina State Appalachian State Duke Wake Forest it is going to be and, and you can't compare it to UCF. To me, there's no comparison. You guys had an enrollment and a, and a stadium. You know, you guys played in the Citrus Bowl before you built your stadium. Charlotte just is it, it's a death trap. And we'll we'll see who ends up being right on that one. And I'll I'll put money on myself. We couldn't we couldn't fill up. Uh, we, we could not fill, fill this more than about. 25, 30,000 in the Citrus but let Bowl. Me ask you a question. When we built the on campus stadium, that changed everything. Do you guys everything. have an NFL team in Orlando? No. Do, do you, you got one professional? Well, you got, you got, well, you got two. You got an NHL team. You have an NHL team? I don't know. I don't follow hockey. No. 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 no, 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 no the only, the only thing, the only thing we have in Orlando is the Orlando the Magic in the there NBA. You go. That's that's it. The and and that's, MLS. That's the difference between Charlotte and, and, uh, and, and UCF right there. Charles has the Panthers. Charlotte has the Hornets. Charles has the MLS team. Charles is the home of NASCAR. It, it nobody cares about the Charlotte 49ers, and, th- and nobody ever will. Uh, it, it's th- that's the thing is they don't have to they don't have to care more than X or Y. They just have to care enough to sustain that streaming audience. And I'll and I'll and I'll leave you with this point on it. Old Dominion's enrollment. What is it? I'll get. I'll give. I'll, I want to give. Let, let you guess on that one. Oh, do you use the Roman? I, I, if I had to guess, yeah, uh, twenty thousand. Okay, what do you? What would you guess UNC Charlotte's enrollment is? Uh, probably, probably around. I know what it is. Uh, yeah, well, don't say it, Dave. Don't say. I, well, I know they. Well, I, I keep up with this because they rotate with us in enrollment, so it's right around thirty thousand. Yeah, UNC Charlotte's latest enrollment fall 2020, 30,000 students. ODU twenty four thousand, mm-hmm. and the thing is exactly. with. With UNC Charlotte, big public school, uh, and ODU has that going for it as well as a, as a public univer- as a public research university. But again, you're located in Norfolk, Virginia, biggest biggest, North me- biggest media market in in America without a professional sports team. 
but it's still small, especially compared to Charlotte. The Charlotte media market and the in the Norfolk Virginia Beach media market. Check the two media markets real fast if you have time. Charlotte's bigger. Charlotte's bigger, but it's not as much. It's not that much bigger. No. No, I don't think we'll. Yeah, look I'm going to look that up because I'm actually interested in that too. Uh, television station list of U.S. television. I think markets. Charlotte's around. Is it Charlotte around twenty? Charlotte's twenty-two. Twenty-two. Okay. Yep. And Norfolk's forty-six. So there you go. I mean, uh, in the grand scheme, but, but here's but here's but here's where here's what's around Norfolk. Forty five is Birmingham. Forty seven mm-hmm. is Greensboro High Point. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, forty eight is Albuquerque, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah, uh, forty four is Oklahoma City. Forty three Jacksonville. So that's that's pretty small. And th- and the whole thing is graduates. And you're gonna in, add in, and I in would argue metro markets. I would add in you, you add in the next biggest media market closest. You got Richmond, and then you got the D.C., the DMV, the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. So, I mean, we, we could argue this all day. After Charlotte, you got Raleigh, and <laughs> they're pretty busy. You know, that's the ACC. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Um, you know, ODU still has that. but And the other thing I think is that ODU still kind of has that new kid on the block thing as well. There, there's, you know, I'm not saying that Char- I'm not saying that Charlotte is, you know, is a storied I, is a storied franchise out here, but I'll tell you what, ODU you, is you, rel- still relatively new to FBS. You, you, you stay in the American with them, and we'll go to the Big Twelve. <laughs> hey, we're, we're ta- hey, listen, we are taking that ticket and we are running, running, and, and listen, um, it's that that's where that's what got UCF over the top is the combination of enrollment pumping out a lot of graduates. I think that's, that's where it is because, you know, college football, college sports in general, we're going to see it become, it's always been a regional sport, but it's going to become a lot more regional. And it's, and it's the, it's the manifestation of the 80, 20 rule. 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers. So the, the concept of, I think, you know, broad audiences, I think is going away and we're just going to go for we're, we're, you know, well, college football, Carolina especially at the top level, going forward. You know, I hope so for that. I hope so for that program. It's, uh, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough walk up because, you know, what, what does ECU, what does ECU offer? Uh, you, you know, what, what does ECU offer a conference like, say, the ACC? Or the Big well, 12? you're just talking about graduates and, and, and eyeballs to stream. I mean, uh, we, we only we, had the hey J- Jeff. We only had the number nine game watched in the country uh, on Saturday. We were in the top ten, so yeah. we do offer a lot of eyeballs. I think that uh, one of the things is that we. Yeah, get- but that was also against North Carolina State. Oh, nobody cares about East Carolina. You're right. We don't have any fans, and we suck. <laughs> no, I'm not. And we'll see I'm you in October. Just- we'll see you in October. I hey, listen, and I'm looking. I I'm looking forward to that one because I mean, Holton Aylers is pushing pushing my age. You know, yeah, we'll finally see, get to see him see him one more time. I just, you know, it's it, now's the time, right? You know, it's uh, for for every school that's going to be behind that that that's going to be in the American. Now's the time to really to really prove it. I just, you know, it's been, it. You know, I think ECU is in a better position now. I'm I'm not I'm not particularly. A, a lot of people think of like what schools have done lately in terms of on field results. I actually tend to downplay that. 
because on-field results are fairly fickle, you know, as just ask Scott Frost. But um, but what do you get in terms of alumni engagement? For East I, Carolina? I mean, Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Have you been to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium besides when Scotty Montgomery was the head coach? We, I mean, we, I, I, we, I led, we led the group of five in attendance every year up until Scotty Montgomery was the head coach. Right. Our enrollment's around 30,000. Right, but it's not just it's not just attendance. It's what are your TV what are your TV ratings? We just told you we had the number nine ranked game this past week. Right. That's this past week. What about long term? I, I have no idea. I have no I mean, that's that's the thing that these guys with the spreadsheets look at. And well you're uh, saying and, you're saying going forward, alumni, the the amount of students you graduate, our enrollment is around thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh we have a lot of alumni already. Um, our enrollment is just going to continue to grow up, go up. I'm sorry. Um, so the, the argument is the old school media market argument that that's the only thing we have against us. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't have, I, I don't subscribe to that at least as of right now. It's just, I I'm always curious to see how many people, you know, and, and this is by the way, that what, what also helped UCF is it's other sports. We got a lot of we get a lot of streaming audience for basketball on ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus has been great. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll give, I'll give and, you a good. I'll give you a good example. Um, during baseball season on ESPN Plus, um, most American schools did not have advertisement revenue during their ESPN Plus baseball games being sold through mm-hmm. ESPN. East Carolina did. We we had we had legitimate yes. advertisers for every ESPN Plus baseball game because we had more streaming eyeballs for baseball. Than anybody else in the American, yeah, and, and that's and that's great for ECU, and that's and, and and in particular. But what about basketball? Oh, we suck at basketball. That's always been a problem. And there that continues to be a problem. But football drives the ship, and we're about to turn it around in football. And you know, we'll 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 see what happens. But you know, we can't do anything about our media market. That that is one thing we can't do anything about. We can't move Greenville to Charlotte. <laughs> you know, that, that's we have a lot of fans. We have a lot of alums all over the place. In fact, I go out of the country. I've been out of the country many times, and and the even if you count like the Bahamas, there's always somebody with an ECU shirt on everywhere. Yeah. So, um, if you recall, alumni is not a not a big. But anyway, uh, we have to run. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff, and uh, we'll have you back in uh, obviously in October with a big game. Thanks, you got October, it, guys. October. I know 26th. it's. it's- it's gonna be it, it's gonna be a fun one. I I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also not looking forward to it because actually I think ECU's on the right track. And goodness me, Holton Nailers. I mean, uh, how how many more how many more years of eligibility has this guy got left, man? Yes, I mean, three actually, three more years. Three more years. How many more degrees is this, is this kid going to get from your school, man? Two he's accounting three. for he's accounting for half the enrollment by himself. What's going on with this thing? There you go. Yeah, hey, come. <laughs> all right, guys. Good talk right. to you as always. Stay safe out there. All right. All right, see you later. All right, good All right. night. Oh, Louisville beats their fucking ass. Oh, Louisville beats them 52 to nothing. <laughs> and when they come to Greenville, I don't give a damn. You look, I have colon cancer surgery Monday. I don't give a damn if I have to be there in an iron lung. <laughs> I, I, I hope we beat their stupid Mickey Mouse asses all the way back to Orlando and take a piss on them as they make their way to the Big 12.
How you doing, Jeff? Hey, hey, Pretty Jeff, good, guys. How are you doing? Oh, I was all right. You know, it got me fired up. I got a lot going on these days right now. I don't need some asshole from Orlando to get me fired up. And now I'm fired up. Well, yeah, Jeff, welcome into the show. Obviously, a big game, Appalachian State and A&M uh, this week. And I uh, want to get your thoughts on it. Well, I think from A&M's perspective, the offensive line is going to be kind of a key for them. The, the group didn't play very well last weekend except in stretches. Uh, Sam Houston stunted and stemmed its front a lot, which caused the Aggies a lot of issues in terms of their communication, getting a hat on hat. Uh, they weren't able to take advantage of their size. In addition, uh, starting tight end uh, Max Wright was out. Unfortunately, that meant that they also the second tight end Blake Smith was out, and so they took a their backup left tackle Demetrius Crownover, who played some tight end back in high school, and inserted him in the starting lineup. And he kind of played tentative because he'd been a left tackle basically for the last year. So the combination of all that really didn't work very well for the Aggies. If they, if they can block better this weekend, if they can communicate better, then they'll be able to be a lot more likely to get the running game going. Uh, defensively, I think Appalachian State is going to have a very hard time matching up with A&M simply because they, they, you just don't see this kind of size and athleticism and depth in the front four. Uh, A&M, with the recruiting classes, not just the heralded 2022 class, uh, but the one three that they had before that all ranked in the top 10, they've got a lot of big, fast people up front. They come at, they just come at you in waves, have a lot of talent. They have very experienced, good people in the, in the back seven behind those guys. So I think for Appalachian state, they're going to have run in the same things that a lot of people are going to run into this season when they play A&M and that's, can you block A&M? And that's going to be a real, real challenge for those guys. And it's certainly, and again, it's going to be a very, very unique circumstances set of circumstances. This isn't like trying to block North Carolina. This is a totally, totally different animal. Uh, Jeff, last week Appalachian had trouble had trouble stopping UNC. Obviously, a high scoring game. Apps offense performed well against uh, the Tar Heels. Um, emotionally, after a game like that, Apps got to be drained. Um, playing on a team, playing a team as talented as Texas A&M, Appalachians never afraid of anybody. They're always upset-minded, but uh, I, I think it's a tall mountain to climb uh, for, for the Mountaineers this week. Yeah, A&M is probably going to hit some big plays down the field. Uh, they've got more, you know, they've, they've got more speed at receiver than they've had in past years. I don't know if you guys know about this kid, guy named Evan Stewart. Uh, he was a five-star in the class of 2022. He's He was a track guy in high school. He also played soccer. So he's not only fast, but he, he's got extremely quick feet. He's a very, very fluid kid watching and watching him run. And it's, you know, A&M just – I've followed A&M for 50 years. Uh, A&M just never has had anyone like him. They've had some good receivers come through – that program, guys like Christian Kirk, who's now with uh, uh, Jacksonville, but 
they just haven't had anybody like this guy. And there were a couple – he caught uh, five passes. Three of them went for first downs. He would catch a crossing route, take it 30 yards across field, make a guy or, guy or two miss. Uh, you know, And when you pay attention to a guy like that, their slots, uh, Anaya Smith, who's, who's the veteran, uh, also handles the punt returns for the Aggies. Yule Keith Brown, who's a speedster out of Florida in his second year, when you start paying too much attention to the outside guys, now they've got inside guys that can read routes and, and get deep on you. Uh, Smith's not as fast as Brown, but Smith understands the game. He understands coverages. Brown's going to be the guy that, hey, look, if you get man coverage and you, and you don't have someone over the top and he gets behind the corner, then, then, that's gonna, then you're in real trouble. So, again – a&M's got to be able to block Appalachian State or they're going to they're going to struggle to move the ball and and that will give Appalachian State some hope. But uh, quite honestly, even compared to the rest of the SEC, A&M's just a different animal because of Jimbo Fisher's determination to have as many big and fast defensive linemen as he can. What's the ceiling for the Aggies this year? Do you guys uh, expect to win the SEC? I mean, Obviously, Bama's Bama. You know, they're always going to be Bama. People, you know, they're the odds-on favorite along, you know, with Georgia. But uh, d- d- does uh, Jimbo have the uh, the team this year to uh, compete for an SEC championship, or are you guys a year away? He definitely has the team. Uh, but, you know, the odds are probably against them doing that this season. I think 2023 is a different story simply because they – they are relatively young in a lot of spots. And unfortunately, the offensive line, they got younger than what they anticipated. One of the reasons they had so many issues last weekend, uh, they were supposed to bring back three starters to that group. And again, they were supposed to have uh, a, a, you know, Max Wright playing tight end, who was a second tight end last year. Wright was missing. Uh, the, the starting center, Bryce Foster, had mononucleosis. He's out for at least a couple of more weeks probably. Uh, Layden Robinson, who's considered to be a first-round caliber guard, was hampered, played only about a third of the snaps. So it's just not the, the same group that they thought it was going to be. And that caused them a lot of problems there. We'll see if they start getting healthier and also uh, have a chance to play together some and, and improve the, the communication aspect of things in the coming weeks. Uh, the defensive line is going to improve by leaps as bounds as those young guys get some snaps. Some of the you know, Haynes King at quarterback, he threw a couple of picks. He's he's aggressive. He doesn't slide when he runs. He likes to throw the ball where uh, his guy can make a play on it, but maybe the defender can too. So it will be fascinating to see how this team progresses as the season goes on. Uh, they, they've certainly got the athleticism, how fast they can grow up and, you know, can't, you know, what happens on October 8th in Tuscaloosa against Alabama is kind of, kind of determine whether or not they can take the division and from then have a chance to play for the SEC title. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if Bob and Dave got anything more for you specifically about the Appalachian game, but, uh, I just wanted to ask you uh, about, uh, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC. Uh, renewing some old rivalries there with your regional schools. How do A&M fans feel about that? Are you guys happy to have Texas and Oklahoma come in? Did you guys like the separation of them being in the Big 12, y'all being in the SEC? What's the reaction, man? 
A&M's fans and administration both liked the fact that A&M was the only Texas school in the SEC. Uh, it, it was a branding opportunity they took maximum advantage of. It was a recruiting opportunity that they took maximum advantage of. Uh, it was a considering what A&M in their minds, what A&M meant to the SEC during its first decade in the league, it was kind of, it, it, it carried a great sense of betrayal. Uh, I, I, whether people liked it or not, A&M really, and the SEC really didn't communicate with A&M uh, when the move was, was being contemplated and discussed and, and A&M felt like that it should have been more involved. But then again, I don't think A&M would have felt much differently one way or the other. A&M would have been against the move. And also when you're, you know, when, as you guys know from conference realignment, when you're one of the targets, you tend to keep your mouth shut. Uh, when you're one of the guys in that league or one of the guys being left behind, nobody tells you a whole lot. So I think over time, as long as AM can continue to be good in football, I, I think those issues will be dissipated. And in particular, you know, I've written a lot about the, you know, about, uh, about the AM Texas rivalry, how it got put on the shelf by realignment. Uh, AM didn't have a lot to do with that after they joined the SEC, Te uh, Texas did. But then AM figured that, hey, look, we're benefiting, so we don't need to play them. They need us more than, than we need them. And so uh, A&M really developed – A&M fans kind of developed an emotional distance between themselves and Texas. I think that will go away in a, in, in a single millisecond when the two teams hook back up, whenever that will be, wherever that will be. Yeah, I personally think it's good for college football to have – Schools like that together again. I think we're getting too far from what college football is supposed to be. And to me, it's regional rivalries. That's, you know, look at the ratings the backyard brawl did this past week. You know, I, I think uh, I think it's good for college football for Texas and Texas A&M and Oklahoma to all be together again in the same league, um, personally. Whether A&M fans like it or not, as a college football fan, um, I, think it's, I think it's good. Well, I think one concern A&M fans kind of had, and, and there's some legitimacy to this, is that A&M fans – Spent the first 10 years. A&M has always had more of a, a let's say, a South, an SEC culture yeah. to it. Uh, it's, it's located near Houston, which is probably the most, if you had to, it's, it's the most Southern city, so to speak, uh, in the state. It has a lot more in common with places like uh, Atlanta, uh, Mobile, uh, because it's on the coast, New Orleans, you know, right. all, you know, it, it certainly has more in that regard. It, it's a con, it's a conservative school culturally and politically. Uh, a and M fans have really enjoyed uh, playing the Mississippi, you know, the, the Alabamas and Auburns, uh, because in the Big Twelve, you could one week you could you might be playing an eighty thousand seat stadium, but most of the time you're going to be playing in fifty. 60,000 seat stadiums, and we know that's not the case in the SEC. Football is life and death in the SEC, and AM fans really enjoyed that aspect of it, even though they hadn't taken home any conference titles. Uh, you know, now that changes, and what I don't think they want to do is wind up playing Texas and OU at the, ex at the expense of the schools that they actually joined the, the SEC 
to play every year and to be a part of that culture. And so it'll be real interesting to see where the scheduling goes where all, when all that shakes out here in another year or two. No doubt. Yeah, as far as the – you were talking about with uh, A&M and uh, with the old, I guess, Southwest Conference rivals they are coming in. Uh, as far as the SEC uh, goes, uh, how, how do you feel about overall with the conference? And do you, th- do you see any more teams coming into the league, any more expansion? With the realignment, it seems like it's always happening every year. I think that all depends on the networks. Uh, for all the talk about – you know, it, it was funny to um, see or hear, excuse me, Kevin Warren talk or you know, talk about, well, you know, the networks didn't have anything to do with expansion. And then uh, ESPN's, uh, the, the head of that network was uh, uh, Brendan Magnus was uh, uh, probably got the name wrong there. He was saying he was saying a, a week or two ago, no, 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 we we don't have anything to do with that. You know, we don't have anything to do with expansion. Uh, all I know is in the spring, the Big Ten exercised its option to increase its ownership of the Big Ten network from 51% to 61%. And then just a few months later, they go all the way to the West Coast to snag USC and UCLA. Uh, before that, Texas and OU, remember that ESPN and Fox said, hey, we're not interested in talking to the Big 12 about you know, uh, about their TV contract, which was uh, expiring in 2025. We're just not going to talk to you. Well, sure enough, a few weeks later, what happens? Texas and OU get an invitation to the SEC. So I know everybody wants to deny that, but the television networks are what drive things. And, And one thing to keep in mind about ESPN, they have the ACC locked up long term, very, very cheap for them. They can make a lot of money off that league. And so I don't see them, I don't see ESPN making it worthwhile for the SEC from a financial standpoint to add teams as long as they can continue to make the money that they can off of the ACC. You know, and I, and I think that will even, even be the case from the Big Ten. I think you know, from what we can tell, Notre Dame's not going anywhere. They, they're going to get enough money from NBC uh, to to stay independent. I think what's going to happen is is that you're going to have the net. You're going to have the two big players. They're just going to battle for the supremacy of college football. And you know, we can argue about whether that whether or not that's going to be good for the sport. But that's what's going to happen. They're going to divvy up the leagues, and they're going to. You know, they, they've got – we've started on the road down to where we're only going to have a certain number of teams that are making the most money, and then their next tier is not going to be making as much money. Uh, we're just – we're, we're kind of – you know, in another few years we'll, we'll really already be there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the playoff goes. You know, one of the things in the Big Ten, they made a big deal. Uh, back back when the playoff when that when the playoff expansion was previously discussed, they said no 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 we we don't want to you know we we don't we want to see a playoff where you've got multiple entities televising your product because that's where we're going to make the most money and that actually rang true when the big Ten, for the Big Ten at least that rang true when the in the way they divided up that TV package. However, it's going to be interesting to see if the CFP committee. If the people that run that feel the same way 
when when we go to 12 teams and they have to you know they have to divvy up the tv package or they keep it all with espn or they're going to divvy it up with espn and fox or are they going to do over the air you know i think it's gonna be whoever wherever the most money can be made without a doubt and Mm -hmm. i do i love the playoffs going to 12 i love that the six highest rated conference champions because that means a so-called group of five till school will get a shot each year uh we'll see how long that format stays in play but um you know it, it gives the east carolinas and the boise states et cetera, of the world hope uh to build something um and and you know i think i think it's good for college football um you mentioned about the sec and the big 10 kind of separating themselves from everybody i think that's already happened of course if you listened to our previous conversations with some Big 12 fellows, they think the Big 12 is going to just rip apart the Pac-12 and they're all set to compete with the SEC and the Big 10. Um, so, you know, I kind of disagree with that. I, I kind of think the Big 10 and the uh, SEC are going to kind of rule the roost. You do make an interesting point. The ACC ESPN deal, they have a hell of a grant of rights deal uh, for the ACC schools to get out of. And you're right. What, what benefit is it to ESPN to have the SEC – take ACC schools and then have to pay the SEC more money when the ACC contract is a relative bargain for the uh, ESPN. So I think I personally think for the next probably five years, conference expansion is kind of going to maybe stay where it is. I do think it'll change eventually, but I think we've probably got a five-year window here where things are going to stabilize. Do you agree with that or do you think it's going to go ahead and happen within the next five I, I think it probably stabilizes simply because I just can't imagine ESPN making the, – the moves that will be made, I think, going forward into the foreseeable future will be the ones in the leagues, such as the Big 12, where ESPN and, and perhaps Fox gets involved and they're, they're, they're able to pay – you know, reasonable sums of money relative to the SEC and the Big Ten uh, and, and fill up the rest of their, you know. You know, for ESPN, it, it's a bigger deal than it is Fox. Fox doesn't necessarily have to sit there uh, and, and, and fill up windows over multiple networks on a Saturday. ESPN has got to keep finding ways to create content. So they're going to have to go to these leagues as kind of like, you know, the B, you know, use a very old school term, but I'm an old guy, the B side, uh, you know, for, for ESPN2, ESPNU, uh, you know, Fox has got. Pretty much Fox and, F, and FS1. They, they do FS1. have FS2, but they very rarely put college football on FS2. Right. And, and then the regional Fox Sports Networks, is, you know, they, they've kind of, Called the way of the dodo bird. They no, nobody even really do they even exist much anymore. Um, so I, I agree with you. Uh, and I, I don't know. You know, I, I heard uh, talking to some Big Twelve guys, 50, 50 million per team being bandied around. I, I'm, I'm highly doubting that. I think they're going to be in the thirty million per team range, if that. Well, I'd heard last. I'd heard last year when uh, Texas and OU came left the Big Twelve. Uh, and, and this is this is from someone that would know that that package at the time was going to be around 15 million. That may have gone up since then. 
Uh, I haven't talked to anybody since then, and that's when the SEC, I think their package was estimated at that point in time at about $35 million. So I think whatever the SEC and Big Ten shake out at, maybe the Big 12 can, can – uh, Maybe that league, you know, maybe that league can generate, let's say, 40, 50 percent of what the SEC and Big Ten can on the other. And, and again, they can go to ESPN and go, hey, look, guys, you know what? We want to be broadcast, but, you know, we want some <laughs> we want some serious coin because we know you've got to come to us to fill up everything that's not SEC football but, related. But, but somebody's got to be betting against them. And you mentioned how much is Fox going to be motivated. NBC's not going to be motivated. So, you know, if they offer them $30 million, you know, is Fox going to be motivated to offer them $40 million per school even? You know, I, I just – I'm with you. I don't see Fox needing the inventory. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fox and for, – for Fox and, you know, NBC, it's inter- – another thing that's interesting too is that – Fox really, you know, Fox, they really like the fact that they use their Saturday college football as a lead into their Sunday football games. I think that was one of the things that was attractive to NBC stepping into Saturday night primetime football was they could use it Saturday night primetime, Sunday primetime. ESPN doesn't get that same benefit. They, they, they have Saturday football that leads into NFL game, you know, than NFL pregame show, so they they have to go to Monday Night Football. So they again, it, it's all going to be interesting to see how it shakes out and where people think their dollars should be spent. Uh, and but I, I think just to answer your question, foreseeable future, I think below the SEC Big Ten level, I think everything pretty much stays the same unless the Big Ten wants to go raid the rest of the Pac-12. And from what I understand. Will that actually make more money for each Big Ten team? Probably not. In fact, it might be less per team if it's less per. T- Number one rule of expansion is if you're not going to make more money per team, why? Well, uh, yeah. yeah, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Monday Night Football, the worst decision ever to put it on ESPN. Put it back. You said you were an old uh, old guy. Now put it back on ABC. You can make a lot more money. This Monday Night's game is simulcast. ABC and ESPN. Dave. Well, hey, they need to do that every week. So that, yeah, uh, you would think that they would figure that out, but nobody seems to be able to figure out simple stuff like that anymore. And I'm not sure, you know, again, from everything I've read, and I'm no expert on the subject, from everything I've read, uh, you network TV, their, their most valuable packages continue to be live sports. So why wouldn't you dedicate one night, especially now where you can sit there, dedicate one night of the week to, uh, to a con to a game and to the NFL particularly, which is basically a license to print money. And then, if you want to fill that slot in the spring, you've got 13 episode shows that you can do that with. It's not near the problem that it was a few years ago. So, yeah, why don't they do that? don't know. Well, unfortunately, I don't make those decisions. <laughs> and I don't have the salaries there. But, uh, I mean, you have you have Troy Aikman and uh, – help me, guys. Um, Joe Buck. Joe Buck. Oh, my gosh. Joe Buck. 
Yeah, the two of them, they're giving them like ridiculous amount of money, put it on ABC. But anyway, uh, what, what the heck do I know? Uh, we appreciate uh, Jeff. Thank you so much for your patience tonight. I'm sorry we've been running way long, uh, but we want to let everybody know how people can get on uh, 20 gigum 27, 24, gigum 24 seven. And uh, well, we've even got depth chart. <laughs> Jimbo Fisher won't run a depth chart, but we will. So uh, we got quite a few views off that today. And we'll, we're going to, we're going to have an A&M depth charts up for both offense and defense for the rest of the uh, season simply because A&M won't do that anymore, you know. So, hey, they're, they're, we, we, and again, we'll, you know, right now we're in a rhythm. We get, you know, you get your Saturday postgame stuff. You get your Sunday breakdowns that I do. Uh, you get the recruit, you know, all the recruiting scoop on the visits on Sunday from Andrew Hattersley and, and Brian Peroni. And then uh, Jimbo Fisher has his press conference on Monday and starts all over again. Jeff, thank you for coming on. Nice to hear your, your, your soothing Texas voice after that dude from Orlando put me into a rage. You calmed me down. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. All right. Have a no good problem. one. Yes, sir. All right, appreciate Jeff uh, very much. And uh, Dave, Kyle. I was mad, man. I, I tell you what, I, you know, I, I it's hard to get me down. I couldn't tell. I'm surprised you didn't get on air and, and start yelling too. I, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard right now. What all I got on my mind to even get me that angry about anything because I got so much more bigger, important things on my mind. So but he helped that, you out there, huh? He helped you out then. If that dude would have been here in front of me, woo boy, he will. Let's just say an old boy from Lagrange and an old boy from Orlando. What's, who do you think will come out on top? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Okay. Well, <laughs> I know. I think Bubba knows. <laughs> I'm not promoting uh, violence on our show. Yeah, I, um, guys, I'm telling you right now. Do we do? Do we have any viewers? Was there any comments during that idiot when when he was on? I mean, uh, I, I can't imagine. I think, no, I think that what you what you're missing out on is I think that. That he's a complete he totally, imbecile. No, that he totally got your goat. I think he was messing with you, and you were you just. Well, that's, you, that's, you just that's all right. I'm. I'm, 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 I'm there you go. There you go. Hey, look. You, 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 you. I've already cussed enough on this show, but I'll just say f around, f around to find out. Um. So you want to get my goat? Well, come talk to me. Come talk to me in October. Chemotherapy or not, come talk to me face to face in October and get my goat. October twenty second, right? Come on, baby, come on. Well, we got to get you to the tailgate. Come on, and uh, Jeff Sharon can come by and hang out, and y'all can talk about. Oh yeah, know, yeah. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how much he wants to talk face to face. Who's bigger? I am. No, you are. No, I am. I mean, come on. It was. I. I didn't. I just thought it was. I just thought it was funny because you like totally went down that rabbit hole and and you stayed down there. Well, Dave, you know what, man? I got a temper, and uh, I don't take a lot of crap off people, especially some little pencil neck geek from Orlando, Florida. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how I roll, and I don't back down from anybody. And, uh, you know, so he's a disrespectful little bitch. And, um, wow. He disrespected East Carolina constantly. I, I, I can't believe you guys weren't as mad as I was. Bubba, did you, did you hear the clown? I I certainly agree with your point. Uh, you know, as far as what he was saying, and uh, I know uh, other pirates messaged me privately, and uh, they they did as well. 
Well, good. I hope they appreciated my attitude. And if I offended anybody with my language, I apologize. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Bubba with the sound effects. Uh, I, I, uh, for some, reason I'm, for hey, some reason, I'm not hearing them on my end. But. Bubba, play up. <laughs> okay, all right. Bubba, play, play that. That will always be a classic. Okay, all right. We, we can stop now with the sound effects. Bob, we'll play that interview for Gary and uh, and see what he thinks and see what he thinks of my reaction. Will do. I, I bet your dad would react. going to react very similar to me. Yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is you can be mad about it. I mean, but and the reality is, like, who who really cares? Like, we have a great school. Like, why get in a pissing match with somebody that if you think he's a clown? Because I can't stand a smart little bitch. But why would you care? Why do you care? Because he's smart a little. Because Dave, he was putting down our school, and he's smart a little bitch. So and what if there's thousands of people, are you just gonna like get in fights with every single one of them? If it, you know what, if there's one thing I got and it served me well my whole life is my ability to get pissed off and fight, and it's probably gonna serve me better right now in my life than it ever has before. So if being full of piss and vinegar and wanting to fight. And not taking crap off people has served me for 41 years. And as I'm fighting cancer, it'll probably serve me well now. I, I, I'm not going to take shit from him. I'm not taking shit from cancer. I'm not taking shit from anything else. You know, 41 years, it, this, it served me well so far, being me. All right. We, we just have it. We're different, we're different people. That's fine. There's no, no worries on that. I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't, I don't care because I know our school is great. I, I don't have to go around, you know, saying, you know, hey, ECU is great when everybody knows how much I love ECU. And look, I, the dude from the dude from Texas A&M was pissing me off when he was calling Appalachian State Appalachian State. I said, you call. I, I said, I told, I muted my phone. I said, they call it the, if Texas A&M called them Appalachian State about one more time, they might get their asses whipped because <laughs> because you, 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 App State don't play either. I mean, it, it, how hard is it to get a school name right? It, it's East Carolina and it's Appalachian State. It's not Eastern Carolina and it's not Appalachian State. Yeah, we. Well, um, I think it's Havoc XL two hundred. Um, Kyle is not a coward. I will take up for him. He was talking crap when the guest was on. Who called me a coward? Uh, this guy right here. Let's see. Havoc XL two hundred. I don't know who that is. Well, whoever. Well, first of all, use your real name, son. And if one thing I'm not, I promise you, I'm not a coward. <laughs> no, you're not. I will give you that. I, I'm just saying, I'm not anti you or what you're saying. I'm just saying, uh, let's. Uh, wh- what good does it do get, to get you so upset when I think? Oh, I need it sometimes, pain. baby. I need it sometimes. It's good to get upset. Sometimes it's good to let off some steam. You know, I it, it's it's somebody like that. I just I can't stand a little smarmy. Smart ass, sarcastic, trying to get under. He if he's trying to get under my skin, it worked. Congratulations, he got what he wanted. He got what he wanted. If that's what he wanted, he wanted to get under my skin. It worked. I can't stand people like that. But Dave, maybe you can deal with it. Bubba, you're pretty chill all the time. But uh, me, I'm I'm ready to slap him. I, I wish Matt would have been up here. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I I I get what you're saying, but I I mean we should be used to it now. Yeah, here we go. Craig is the man. We love you, Craig, too, because uh, we have a lot of great people. And again, I 
I don't have to defend my university. Uh, I think it's fantastic, you know, uh, over and over again. Like, that's the case. People can talk all kinds of junk all they want. Um, after what I've been through the last few years, personally, man, professionally, uh, you know, I've had, uh, especially at work, I've been called every name under the sun um, because I won't let people visit their loved ones or whatever because of COVID. But that's a whole other show, as they say. But, hey, um, we're still surviving. We're still great. And, you know, um, guess what? We've got a game uh, coming up on Saturday night that I hope that we win. Uh, do you want to give your predictions for the game? Let's do that and get out of here. For ODU and ECU. Yeah, glad to know you guys have my back. I appreciate that. Uh, Pirates win 31-21. I didn't say I didn't have your back, my brother. Uh, let's see. So, for me, I'm going – I really like the Pirates in this game. I'm going mm, – I'll say 31-17 Pirates. No score prediction from me. I, I do. I will say that I think it will probably be something along those lines. Uh, but the main thing, Pirates win, get to one and one, and um, you know, get ready for for Campbell coming in next week. Uh, Campbell was victorious over the Citadel, twenty-nine to ten, in their first game, and now they travel to William and Mary. Uh, taking on the, the tribe up in Williamsburg. I'm very interested to see how that one goes. Uh, no doubt. And uh, certainly, uh, Bubba, um, do you have the numbers from last week, how bad we did, how good we did? Which numbers are you referencing? You, you uh, talking about? All four of us, we uh, we picked uh, who we thought were going to – who was going to win. Well – Kyle and Matt weren't able to make their picks. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, got busy, and I forgot to forgot to send those games to them. But so, so we can we can start keeping it uh, this week. But um, I think I was five four and one, and I'm not sure what you were, Dave. Something similar because we agreed on most picks, so we were both right there around or just above five hundred. Are we okay. doing picks this week? Uh, we <clears throat> we'll make those. We'll, we'll just do that off air, and then we'll take a look at them uh, next Thursday night. All right, sounds good. Before we get out of here, want to thank our great sponsors uh, first, and we'll tell you about our week uh, weekday programming we have going every single day of the week. Let's do our sponsors first. Hello to Kevin Walker. KK is the man. LNK Custom Homes. Give him a call. He's a licensed general contractor. And you can call Kev at 336-688-8461. And, you know, if you know anything about Kevin Walker, he's one of the best athletes we ever had at ECU. And, uh, man, what a great DB he was back in the day. And uh, we, uh, we we have a lot of DBs now that are good. But, my gosh, he was one of the best um, of all time. How about Porky's Backyard Barbecue? I was there tonight talking to them, and they're going to be with us. Hey, guys tailgate again they're sponsoring our tailgate this week and bubba they're going to have your barbecue for you i know that the only thing they told me they're bringing so far is they're going to bring uh those uh, great wings they have and barbecue um but they're located at 805 east boulevard in williamston uh you can dine in they have the drive-through they're open daily 11 to 8 they've got some of the best ribs and uh barbecue chicken as well in addition to barbecue and chicken and seafood uh, great stuff. Appreciate their support of the program. And Kyle, how about pgxgloves.com? 
PJSlubs.com. Get your custom gloves. Kids play uh, sports of any kind, baseball, softball, football. They got gloves for them. If you like to play golf and you want to look all fancy and customized out there on the golf course, go get you some custom golf gloves at PGSclubs.com. Put in promo code EC. You save yourself 20% at checkout. All right. Appreciate 25%. That's right. 25% of it. Uh, just put EC in that promo code. Hey, guys. Uh, also, Team Boneyard. I uh, want to let them know they're creating NL, uh, NIL opportunities for current and future Pirates. Donate today. Uh, go Pirates. Appreciate TeamBoneyard.org uh, and their great stuff there. And Bubba and Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. Our new programming we have nightly has been fantastic. And, uh, man, that absolute empowerment, guys, on Monday night with Coach Logan, Labor Day Monday, and Jeff Connors was outstanding. We have our Pirate Preview on Tuesday. Pirate Breakdown uh, with Sutton Young. And Sonny and Semenza, that was last night, uh, Wednesday. Of course, our show tonight is the Inside Slant. If you're watching live or listening, uh, that's a weekly college football preview. Uh, Bubba, how about Friday's show? Uh, that's a special one for you, I know. Yeah, Pirate's Life for me. I caught up with Pat Lane, uh, you know, an alumnus of East Carolina College. I believe he... I believe that's the way it went down. You know, he graduated from East Carolina College right before it became East Carolina University there, uh, you know, in 69, 70, right around there. Uh, but, but uh, you know, very excited to, uh, you know, have folks hear that conversation with Pat. And we, we could have talked for three or four hours. It was, uh, you know, he's someone I've known since I was a child and uh, made – multiple road trips and going to West Virginia uh, at least a couple times with Pat and, um, and my dad. And then also uh, went to West Point in 95. That was a, a road trip for the ages. And if you ever had the opportunity to, to go to West Point, whether it's to watch the Pirates play, which obviously would be the best case scenario. But if you anytime you have a chance to go to West Point uh, to see a ball game or just to, to visit the academy, definitely go and check it out. It's a it's a thing of beauty, especially there, you know, when the leaves are changing colors like it, like they were in early November of 95. But, um, you, know, you know, that conversation with Pat, we not only talked athletics, but uh, he and his wife, Lynn, are very, very involved on the academic side of the university. And so uh, they shared thoughts or he shared thoughts there as well. Um, and, you know, she's an alum of Greensboro College, but very involved at ECU. So um, definitely check that out. And um, in, in addition to that content, we'll have our Pirate Football Playback, um, as Dave mentioned, presented by LNK Custom Homes on Sunday as we'll take a look back at what is hopefully the Pirates' first victory of 2022. And then on Tuesday, if you haven't had the opportunity to watch and listen yet, our Pirate Preview, we had Harry – uh, minimum of odusports.com. Also, yeah, great guy. I liked him a lot. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that visit with Harry Minium. And then you also had Ricky Ronnie. Um, do not call me Ricky Bobby. and the head coach of the Monarchs in his third season, but just second on the field. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Andrew Bays, who's split in time with Kevin Monroe as the color analyst alongside Jeff Charles this year on the Playfly Sports Network. Uh, great stuff there. And I tell you what, guys, I'm looking forward to it 
It's going to be a great week. It's been it's a busy time for us, but uh, don't forget to subscri subscribe to the Sports Objective YouTube channel. Uh, we've had a lot of people, Bubba, we've had a lot of people this week do that. I guess it's because of our uh, daily programming, but appreciate uh, that. And we'll give everybody a shout out who's done that. And tell all your pirate friends, even if they're not pirates, uh, to join and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, we appreciate everyone's support on that platform. Um, you know, if you if you tune in there, uh, you know, be sure to click subscribe. Also, click all uh, there on the notification bell so you're alerted on your device when we release new content. And you know, if you're an audio only listener on whatever podcast platform, be it Audio Boom, uh, Spotify, Anchor, or, you know, or a combination of those platforms, uh, just be sure to click subscribe as well or follow whatever it is on that individual um podcast platform and, and no doubt about it i'm just laughing at craig he's asking if uh if, if pgx glove do they make boxing gloves for kyle i don't think you, i, I got need, bare knuckle baby bare knuckle all right so you don't need to eat boxing gloves Let's bare knuckle let's go i'm ready you, see, you get in this squared circle do what get in the boxing ring I get the box. No, boxer, whatever. You know what? You know, it's all a big joke. You know, it's all a big joke. But look, here's the deal. If some little smarmy ass clown from Orlando, Florida, from UCF is going to talk crap about East Carolina University, about our fan base, you know, about, you know, how we are what we are, we ain't never going to be anything more. And, you know, I'm not going to sit there and take that crap. You know, he's on our show, he's our guest. And he wants to come here and, and talk that crap, promote the greatness of Charlotte, talk down to East Carolina. I'm not going to put up with the crap. And, you know, so be it. It is what it is. But I can't stand a smarmy little prick like that. I mean, if you're going to talk trash and talk trash, that little sideways crap coming out your mouth, yeah, uh, that gets under my skin more than anything. Well, it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be a lot of fun in October. I can't wait. Uh, we'll have to get him back on, and the two of y'all. We'll, I tell you what, we'll nah, do. Yeah, no, we'll no, no. Do not get him back on this show. Do not. No, he he is. I I ban him from this show. Uh, that 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 is a, that is coming from. I, I will not be on this show with him again. No, no, hell no. There's tons of other good people that represent UCF. I, I do not want him back on this show. That that is the first time I've ever said I do not want a guest back on the show. No, he's a clown. Screw that guy. He doesn't deserve the press for us promoting his stuff. You know, no, no. And look, you guys know what I got on me right now. For him to get me this fired up, yeah. Anyway, all right, we'll get out of here. We'll see how the Pirates do, and good luck to the Pirates. And uh, that game is going to be at six o'clock. Take two bottles of water with you. Don't forget about that. You can take that in the stadium. And if you have anybody tell you no, then get uh, get a supervisor for sure. We'll get out of here. It's been a long show. Thanks to Bubba for all your hard work, my friend. The Inside Slant is a weekly college football preview. We do it every Thursday night. And you hear right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates. <laughs>